Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Go! It's one out. Beat on. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. You know, Cody asked me, is this a good time to do the Fernando Tatis? Yeah, you could do that. That's it's still a big story. I mean, I think everyone, I don't think anyone's tired of hearing about it just yet. Well, and the reason why I ask is I, I have some research on, on the whole 3-0 swinging. But Cody asked me, could Fernando Tatis be the star of baseball? And I laughed. Or you said the face of baseball, and I laughed. I'm like, no one from the Padres is going to be the face of baseball. You've had great players star in San Diego, and that didn't happen. It's a small market. San Diego has problems, like a lot of different franchises do. But San Diego's problems are very unique, and probably only the Florida teams would be able to relate. Because when you're sitting in San Diego, you've got issues with your market. One. You have Mexico to the south of you. To the west of you is the Pacific Ocean. To the east is the desert. And to the north is the Dodgers. So you're kind of, let's just say, landlocked from being ever so popular and ever so big and ever having a major, even though San Diego is a highly populated, San Diego County is a highly populated area. The ten, it's the eighth largest city in the country, but it just it's got its challenges. Once again, ocean to the west, Mexico to the south, Dodgers to the north, straight desert to the east. Cody, does that make sense to somebody for someone like yourself uh, who's probably not spent a lot of time down there? Geography, understanding the dilemma that maybe the Padres have for an earning potential. 
No, that makes sense. I, I never really looked at it that way. I just looked at it where I always hear all the time that San Diego is the second largest city in the state and, like you said, the eighth largest in the country. But that, that doesn't mean it's a major media market. We've seen that before, too. No, they're, they're like 20-something in television from a television market. Well, and you've had stars. You've had Tony Gwynn. Uh, you had a young Dave Winfield was a star there before he, he moved on free agency uh, to New York. You had Ozzie Smith who got traded out. I mean, you've had guys. But what flipped it for me, though, is a scandal. I don't think it's a scandal. Most people don't think it's a scandal. But our archaic old baseball media turned it into a scandal. And they're thinking. And that puts you on the map, unfortunately, but that's real. Fernando Tatis got put on the map. Hey, there's a lot of people that will come up and do great things. And they are great players. I mean, it's been tough to get Trout. I mean, look at the all the stuff he's done. It's been tough to make him this national superstar. Yelich has been incredible lately. It's been tough to make him a national superstar. But what makes you a national superstar? A scandal. And now everybody is talking about it. Everybody's looking at this kid, and he keeps performing as he did his 12th home run yesterday. Drama puts you at the forefront. So, Tatis Jr., could he be one of the next faces of baseball? Well, you become a national figure in what, is perceived as a as as national drama and sports this puts you on as they used to say the front page and when you get on tatis would never be on the front page for stats playing for the padres but having this whole ordeal swinging 3-0 up seven runs with the bases loaded and next thing you know they want to throw up manny machado who's a very um infamous player in our game. I w- it would be a good way to put it. It made headlines, and he made headlines. I want to prove to you how dumb the people are that, unfortunately, we have to work around. So they, the baseball world, wanted him, they wanted him to feel bad about swinging 3-0 and that these unwritten rules, how the game used to be played, Get off my lawn. This is how the game was played. He's a young player. He'll learn. He's really talented, but he's a young player. For God's sakes, his own manager didn't even back him. If I'm a player on that team, I hold a team meeting. And I have the manager be a part of that team meeting. And I tell this first-year manager, hey, listen, you son of a you-know-what. If you don't back us, we don't care you worked for the Rangers. We don't care that you worked through their system and maybe their system helped get you this job. You're our manager now. You either have our back or get your ass out of our clubhouse. I don't know who the team leader is of the Padres, nor do I care. But if I was that leader, I would have had that conversation what is it a tingler called woodward to coffee to talk it over he may the damn manager of the padres made his young superstar feel like he did something wrong and he did nothing wrong and he kowtowed like so many people in our country these days kowtowing to any type of pressure 
kowtowed to the Rangers? Yours truly did a little research. Players in the game who have been up big, swung 3-0, and hit a home run. Same scenario as Fernando Tatis. Juan Gonzalez did it back in 2000 against the A's. Big lead, 3-0 count, boom, home run. You want to take a guess how how a young this Juan Gonzalez two-time American League MVP was? Because this is what we're saying about Tatis is he was so young. He's so young. He doesn't know. He's just a babe in the woods. But he'll learn. He'll learn how to play the game the right way. Juan Gonzalez was 30 when he did that. Is that a young player? Was 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 Juan gone young when he hit a 3-0 home run against the A's back in the day? No. Next up, Thomas Howard. You might remember him, A's fans. He also did it in the year 2000. How old was he? He was 35 years old. Just a just a babe in the woods, right? At 35 years old. Jay Buhner, very popular player, did it in 1996. How old was he? 31. So I've got four instances of this happening. Big lead by your team. You get a 3-0 count. You go a hacking. Runner on base. Runners on the base. Boom, home run. I got 30, 35, and 31. The only somewhat young guy was Robin Ventura in 1993, was 25 years old. Man, the baseball archaic world owes this kid, Fernando Tatis Jr., an apology. Because veteran players have been doing this for years. Remember when Jim Tomei did that to the A's? I don't remember what year. But do you remember when Gentleman Jim had a 3-0 count with the bases loaded at uh, Target Field? Relatively new Target Field, and the Twins were up. It was 3-0. He took a 3-0 hack, bases loaded, and it was a grand slam. And I applauded for I remember in the postgame show going, I applaud him for it. Ace players, they all would add the take sign. This guy's one of the great home run hitters. He gets a 3-0 count. He lets it loose. Grand slam. That's what you should do. I remember that postgame show. I'm so glad guys like Reggie Jackson and Johnny Bench and some of the greats of the game came out and said, you guys, you guys are idiots. Fernando Tatis, keep doing what you're doing. And how about Chris Woodard? Did we were did we do this in yesterday's show? Or I, I looked it up. The manager of the Rangers who just said, Hey, listen, this is not how I was raised in the game. He's 44 years old. Yeah, his major league debut was in nineteen ninety-nine. So um, continue yeah, to tell uh, me how you played the 70s and 80s and what it was like in the, in the golden yeah. era of baseball. Chris Woodard didn't play with Ray Fossey. Okay? He didn't play in the 60s. He didn't play in the 70s. He's, You know what? He's, he's a borderline millennial. What's the top age? Like, what's the very first year of, mo- of a millennial? I w- it's in the 40s. Yeah, well... It depends on where you look. Every time I try to find this, it starts with, like, the early 80s. So, like, I think it's, like, 81. So, 81 to 
90 something i think you're considered a millennial then everything after that you're gen z and then now they have another generation after gen z i think but yeah the millennials is like like early 90s through somewhere in or early 80s somewhere into somewhere in the 90s i can't remember the exact definition but i'm considered a millennial because i'm 31 whereas someone that's like 42 43 is on like the fringe they're more of he's a fringe millennial talking about how he was raised in the game and he's old school. He's 44 years old. Shut up. I wish the commissioner was suspended him for a week. See, that to me, you got you want to get rid the only thing, and we'll talk to Bob Nightingale about this. The only thing that people in uniform fear. And Cody, I haven't talked to you about this. And I know I don't come up with very many good points. But this might be one of my better points that I've had in a long time. The only thing people fear in uniform is time. That's the only thing you have over them. Because they make too much money. Everybody makes too much money. You find a guy, they write a check. So what? Money's not a big deal. What is a big deal is time. Taking the uniform off of them for a certain amount of time is what they care about. If you take Woodward out of uniform and off that bench for a week in a 60-game season, that's a certain percentage of the entire season. You don't think that'd be a teachable moment? Jabot, whoever the hell this guy is, this reliever who's now throwing at people. You take him out for like 10 games of a 60-game season? Time is the one thing they cherish in their careers because there's only so many years you get to be a player. There's only so many years you get to be a manager. There's only so many years you get to be in uniform. You want to stop this hairy high school crap going on in Major League Baseball? Take the game away from people. Because that's what they fear is time. You only have so much time in this game. And if I was commissioner, that's what I would do. You suspended this guy for one game, the manager, Mr. Old School 44-year-old. What if you suspend him for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? If he got suspended for 10 games, remember, managers, they can't appeal. You think that would change the way he manages for the rest of his career? I think so. The power that the commissioner has is to take time away from people. Once again, money doesn't matter. You got a guy making X amount of millions of dollars, writing a check means nothing. Are we calling Bob Nightingale or is he calling us? Uh, all of our guests are calling us today. I'm going to check in with them right now. And you're right, though, about about Woodward. Like, being suspended one game, like, okay, great. But if you suspend him for more, I think that's a teachable moment even for the manager. And the reliever throwing at him, like, that, that was just a joke, throwing it behind Manny Machado. I know – a lot of people in the game don't like Manny Machado, although he did hit a grand slam last night, and Will Myers won the night before. They've hit a grand slam in three straight games. 
Oh, there's a trivia question to that. Do you know that? There, I know it has to do with uh, going way, way back in history. The last National League team to do this Well, first of all, the Chicago White Sox, and I don't even remember this. The Chicago White Sox, they did this in 2000. Do you remember this? Do you remember them hitting three grand slams three straight days in 2006? I do not remember that. No, I'm trying to think of who was even on that team. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, I my twins were just born in 05. I mean, 2006. So, there, so the so they're the first team to do so. We're talking about the Padres. They're the first team to do so since the White Sox pulled off the feet from June 23rd to the 25th, 2006, and the fifth Major League Baseball team in history, but the first National League team to do it since 1895. Not 1995. That's 1895. Back on June 15th, 16th, and 17th, the great Cleveland Spiders in the National League hit a grand slam three straight games, 1895. Hodge hits one well into deep right field. I thought he got it all. Rushed. Grand slam home run, San Diego Padres. Where'd you heard that before? And this ball game right now belongs to the San Diego Padres by 5-2. It's unbelievable. It's uncanny. It's record setting. Tatis on Monday, Myers on Tuesday, Machado a walk-off on Wednesday, and now Eric Hosmer on Thursday, Major League History. <laughs> the great Ted Leitner. Earlier today, we caught up with the voice of the Padres right here on A's Cast Live as they're making history in Southern California, and more importantly, they're now taking on the Houston Astros. A's fans, we need the Padres to step up big this weekend. Well, if we're going to talk San Diego sports, and a lot of people know that I grew up in San Diego, and there was not a bigger broadcaster, and to this day, there isn't a bigger broadcaster, and I don't think there will be a bigger broadcaster in San Diego than the great Ted Leitner. Ted, Teddy Ballgame, it is great to have you on the program again. How are you? I'm good, Chris. I'm good. I'm older than when we last spoke. And I uh, noticed that's been happening on a yearly basis. And uh, there's not a hell of a lot I can do about it. But considering the alternative, and especially in these days, I'm uh, hiding in my uh, house and then I go do a game. I come back to the house and I, that's what I've been doing. And before that, I did nothing during the three and a half months without baseball. And I'm just thrilled, A, to be here and B, to be broadcasting some baseball when we thought we might not. You know, last time we had you on, you even brought up how Billy Bean has said, you know, he grew up watching you. I grew up watching you. And the fact that, you know, you're like the smartest guy ever. You could have left San Diego. You could have gone to the bigger market. You could have done. But you realized, you know what? I'm king here. It's a great city. And uh, I'm not leaving. You were very smart. I appreciate it. I really did. And I really, coming from New York, I had offers to go to New York. 
at, at Channel 2 and Channel 7, CBS and ABC-owned stations. But having grown up there, <laughs> I knew that's a tough place, man. Go fight for a parking place and, you know, go yell on people online and whatever else and all the weather and the aggravation. So I had a good foundation of I loved it when I was there. It was a great place to grow up, great place to learn sports in New York. But I didn't want to live there. So I thought, who the heck would leave San Diego and go back to the uh, – go back to the real world. You know, my two favorite Billy Beans lately is that is the interview with that uh, Tom Berducci had with Billy. And he asked, <laughs> he asked about, do you guys uh, have a bunt sign? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Billy said, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But if we don't, I don't care. <laughs> and they show that again this year, just raking and raking and walk-offs and walk-offs. And then a big uh, a remodeling company, a big remodeling uh, convention that was held here at Tetco Park. And uh, they asked if I would do the master ceremonies. And I said, who's your guest speaker? And they said, Billy Bean of the A's. And, oh, brilliant, a genius, going to Hall of Fame. He's had more impact on baseball than anybody I've ever known. And then uh, I asked the, uh, the, the program chairman, what would Billy like me to say on his introduction? And the guy said, you don't have to introduce him. We're just playing a clip with Brad Pitt from Moneyball. And then after that's done, Billy would just walk on stage. And I thought, well, Billy, la-dee-da. <laughs> and if yeah. Brad Pitt played me, I, I'd have done the same thing. <laughs> yeah, he's going that good. There's no question about it. And, and, and Ted, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about it, you know, with the Padres hitting four grand slams, four straight days, and, and thinking about just how crazy, because when we came into the city game season, we thought, okay, let's just get this in. I didn't realize how historic, like the A's hit a bunch of grand slams early. Like, did you expect all this historic stuff to happen? And in no, such a I, short I, season? No, I really did not. Although, see, the club has had power. Two of the last three years, they've broken their own home run record. But so many of them, way more than a majority, were, were solo home runs because we didn't have guys that could work the count and, and be on base machines like, like uh, you know, modern-day analytic guys want you to be. And so it would be, you know, guys with uh, – you know, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro is a 30-home run guy for the Padres. He's going to probably be a 40-home run guy for the Rays – now that they've traded him, but he had an on base like 282. And the Padres are not going to put up with that. They don't do that. They won't do that any more than Billy would put up with that with a guy on the A's that's not keeping the line moving by getting on base. So to me, having picked up, you know, guys like Trent Grisham from Milwaukee and Tommy Pham from, uh, from Tampa, these guys work the count. They work the count. They get on. And I think it's rubbed off on a lot of the guys that did not do that last year. So the truth of the matter is, like the other day, it's, it's two outs. And they draw back-to-back -back walks, an eight-pitch at-bat and a nine-pitch at-bat. Suddenly, the bases are loaded. Here comes Manny Machado. And I think you know what happened with the walk-off grand slam. And uh, that was the third, I guess, of the four in a row. It's a much different Padre team. I'm not saying it's as good as the Dodger team. They're not. But, man, oh, man, are they better. And they grind. And they had pitchers. They've had pitchers up in, in the 90-pitch count in the fourth inning because they take so many pitches and they work the count. This is a new phenomenon in San Diego for me, and I've been here with this club a long time. I can tell you, I was appalled by the treatment of Fernando Tatis and the 3-0 count. To think that at that time, seven – so think about this, Ted. Seven runs 
when the Rangers have two more at-bats. The A's had just erased a five-run deficit in San Francisco a couple days ahead of time. So to think that we're going to act like this game is over is a joke. And then for everybody to act like, oh, he's young, he needs to learn. I went over that. Juan Gonzalez did the exact same thing at 30. Charles Howard did the same thing at 35. Jay Buhner did the same thing at 31. Swinging 3-0, home run with their team up. The fact that these curmudgeons of baseball went after Fernando Tatis Jr., stop it. Absolutely stop it. What happened to this kid is a joke. Let him play. I love what he does. He's a phenom. Let him go. And I, I really do agree with you. I've always I've always loved, though, with all the nonsense that goes on in the NBA, you know, a slam dunk and the guy's got his mouth open screaming in the other guy's face and showing him up. And NFL, every every tackle. It's like the guy's the first man to ever make a tackle or have a sack. And I, I kind of enjoy baseball by still having that sportsmanship unwritten rule thing in there. But it's quite obvious now that uh, in terms of marketing against those sports, that kids who've grown up with seeing all those college and football, pro football games and basketball, they like that. They think it's entertaining. So to keep the rules of baseball based on, no, 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 you don't do that, man. Don't show me up, that sort of thing. It's more important to market the game and grow the game. And that's what Tim Anderson said, you know, the shortstop with the White Sox. He said, hey, that's why they can't grow the game because everything is, oh, oh no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Uh, don't, don't be yourself, don't entertain. And he just said, he said, Tatis, just tell him to sit on it. Just don't, don't apologize for anything. And that's, I think, where I'm changing is that I like to have that. And they're very classy sportsmanship rules to not – show up a competition and so forth but you got to make a decision which do you want and if you want the growth of baseball as i do then let the kids play as the logo goes and uh i've got the guy with the most home runs in major league history on 3-0 counts is jim tomey and jim tomey had class and dignity and would never show up anybody so that is a test case tatis like you said is nobody to apologize to Oh, it was a couple of years ago in Minnesota at Target Field, 3-0 count, bases loaded. Gentleman Jim gripped it and ripped it against the A's. Grand slam. I'm like, why would you? If someone's going to give you a cookie, you might as well swing at it. And, you know, and I, and I think about Tatis is such a – he's one of these kids, when you think of like Soto and Acuna Jr. and all these different – young talents. I mean, Ted, you've been calling this game a long time. We have a lot of special kids at a very young age who are going to take our sport along with the Trouts and the Harpers and Machados. They're going to take us into the future. They have to. And and I think a lot of uh, baseball itself has made a lot of mistakes. And I know they've made it for the money, but all through those decades, all those great Yankee Red Sox games and all those playoff games and so forth that were taking four hours uh, because they do grind and take so many pitches per team and, and, and so forth. But still, those games are on at night. And those games are ending at 1 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning in the East Coast. And kids were in bed. And that entire generation didn't get to see World Series and great playoff baseball like you and I have. And now they may not be baseball fans. So whatever they have to do now, uh, forget about that. They have to play to get kids to watch. And then that kid at 14 says, oh, this Tatis guy is so cool, man. I want to be like Fernando. That is establishing a baseball fan at 14 who's going to still be a baseball fan at 44. And baseball has to do that. It has to make sure that there are day game telecasts for the young kids to watch as we did or we listened on transistor radios in school, whatever we did back in my era. 
But uh, I, I, you're right. You got to let these kids play. And see, I always thought, I, I love the class part. Mike Cameron told me one time when we had Mike that the day he hit the four home runs uh, in, in Seattle, he came up later and had a 3-0 count and a pretty fat fastball that caught the plate. And Mike did not swing. And they asked him why. And he said, I just don't think, hey, four home runs, a 3-0 count, I just can't be swinging there. Knowing full well, he might have been the first, only guy ever to have five home runs in a game. But Mike said, no, that's not the way the game is played. And that's how it was back then. And I respected that. And I loved that. But I think of the things we've talked about, it has to change. Yeah, I, I, I think there's no question about it. And you, you mentioned transistor radio. God, you mean like when I was a kid listening to you and Jay, Jerry Coleman back in the day? That's the thing. That's the thing. We've had these we've had these rolling blackouts here during during the game. So all these people have been tweeting pictures of themselves around the kitchen table with candles, having broken out their old transistor radio to listen to the broadcast now on actual radios. They've been tweeting, look at me. I'm listening to an actual radio in 2020 to a baseball game. I thought it was really cool. What? That was what? KFMB back in the day? It was KFMB back in the day. And uh, now it's an intercom station at 97.3, the fan, a sports station. And uh, I've just had, like you said, to work with Jerry Coleman, to have this longer time through so many different owners and executives. Not all of them were fans of mine, I'm sure, because I do kind of a different kind of a broadcast. And I'm uh, more into more into storytelling and not into analytics, but I'm trying to, like I said, to, to get with the game. I think the analytics, a lot of it is very important, maybe not to the fans, certainly not to the fans, but to the players and the front office. It's very, very important. So I'm trying to get into that more and more. But I've, I've had a different style. A lot of owners and executives don't like it. But I've been lucky based on that to last into my 41st year with the Padres. So I'll take it. Yeah, because you're opinionated and you're right, and that's why they didn't like it. Let's be honest. Uh, when, 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 when I think about what we have coming up here, uh, the playoffs are different, and I love the idea of a tournament style where we're going to have eight teams in the National League, eight teams in the American League. We just had Tori Lovello on, uh, manager of the Diamondbacks, and I look at the West, and I look how good the Dodgers, we know that, but then I look at the Rockies, I look at the D-backs, I look at the Padres. I think everybody in the National League West has to be excited because everybody has a shot really to get in. There's no question, and I thought the Padres had a good shot at a wild card. I mean, the Dodgers are so deep and so good. And all of a sudden Kershaw has back-to-back terrific outings after the same old bad back things. That's, that's a bad sign for the rest of the National League West because the, the young guys, you know, Dustin May and uh, Walker Bueller and, and Arias are really, really terrific. So just thinking about a wild card, I thought my Padres would be a wild card before they expanded the playoffs to the 16. So I'll be very disappointed if they're not, but uh, they had a five-game losing streak just recently last week. And now they won the back to one three in a row. They got the Astros coming in. But uh, I really think like we, the things we talked about and, and getting on base and grinding and the starting pitching has been so, so good. We, the one thing, typical baseball, we thought, well, the one thing you have to worry about is the bullpen. It looks like the best Padre bullpen, and they've had great ones and probably the best list of closers in baseball history. And uh, now the bullpen has not been able to do what they need to do. And people think, well, you know what? They were in spring training in Arizona. And they were stretching out, and they were going every day in an exhibition game. Then they sat for three and a half months. They were throwing on the side, but it's not the same as being in a, in a game in, in live experience in, in, in what you were doing normally. And then you come back and you have three weeks of a summer camp. You would expect the bullpen to have troubles, and many are, 
and the Padres are one of them. Let's end on this. In this quick season, which is just, I mean, it's going so fast. I mean, you look up for the A's. God, we only got 34 games left. Uh, what have you enjoyed so much, and what has kind of, like, shocked you and, and you, you've liked about such a quick season? It's interesting to me because what, what they theorized, wow, 60 games. That's absurd. But then you thought, no, turn it around. First of all, people are dying and, and not a very pleasant death, uh, despite what the guy in the White House thinks. It's not very pleasant, and they are dying, and we do not have control over it. So to be able to have a little little tunnel there, a little microcosm of, of normalcy, and, and I heard from people all through that three-and-a-half-month delay of, we need baseball. We need, I, need, I need me some baseball, man. i got to have some baseball. And to have it back like this, and I know the Marlins screwed up and the Cardinals screwed up, and now the Mets have had a couple of problems uh, yesterday, and their, their Yankee series is, is delayed. So I, I, I understand how much worse it was how much worse it could be than it is now. And in the midst of all this, just to have this, hey, man, 60-game season, a sprint for a change, not a marathon. This could really be fun. That's what I'm experiencing. And, and these walk-offs and these grand slams and seeing Tatis and Manny Machado on the left side of a, of a defense, good Lord, who's got that? Probably this side of maybe Trevor Story and Arenado at Colorado. It's just as a broadcaster. And, I, hey, I've seen some very, very bad Padre teams, more bad than good through my years and decades. This is a team with, with, with spunk and, and that leadership and, and, and Tatis. And like I said, some starting pitching that's been wonderful uh, in the midst of a pandemic. I ain't got no complaints. Folks, you need to know, you talk about a broadcast legend from the standpoint of local news, play-by-play -play for Padres, Chargers, Clippers, San Diego State, you name it. He's done everything. And... For guys like Billy Bean and myself, we grew up watching him. Ted, you're an absolute legend. It's always an honor to have you on the, prog uh, on the program. Keep doing what you do because you're the best. And, uh, and, and all, the, all the luck to you and the Padres going forward. Chris, I appreciate all those kind words. I really, really do. And when you see Billy, tell him I said hi, and I'll, I'll be at Cooperstown when he's inducted, whatever that happens to be. You know, the last time we saw you down in San Diego at the winter meetings, we talked about how we were looking forward to, to watching your ball club play. How have you been? It's been a while. Yeah, you know, that was when it was all normal, right? Probably the last time baseball people were all together in one place. Um, but everything's been going good. You know, we're, we're glad to be back at it. We're glad to be back on our feet playing baseball again. And I know the whole industry is moving forward day by day, which we're really excited about. And, you, you know, as I ever since we, we had you on, it's like the only time I've ever rooted for the D-backs was against the Yankees in the World Series back in the day. But now we're pulling for you. And obviously being a former A, and, and I'm looking at your first 11 games versus your last 11 games. Boy, your offense has really turned it on. Yeah, first of all, I appreciate you guys having our back, right? I mean, that's nice that we're feeling some support from some American League uh, teams and uh, we're playing good baseball right now. And I know for the next four days, you're going to be totally a total A's fans, which is fine with me, but, um, we've been doing a lot, right. Over the first uh, 11 games at three and eight, it was, it was a really tough environment, but these guys dug in, they dug together. They believed in one another. And I think the character of these guys showed up every single day. We knew we'd hit, but it was about practicing the right habits. And maybe the season sped up on us. Maybe the shortened spring training had an impact on us. But it didn't seem to bother other teams, and we were kind of confused by it. But we, we got back to our basics. We talked about just believing, 
having good at bats. We did a lot of our work behind the scenes to make that happen a little bit quicker. And it's been very, they've been very uh, responsive since that time. You know, you talked to us in December so much about culture and changing the culture in the clubhouse and really having the team mentality where obviously baseball is about stats and we're always looking at guys' stats. But in the end, what's more important, it's about winning baseball games. And not only in a time like this now about winning games, but protecting each other and keeping everybody safe. And just just talk about what your clubhouse has been like in, in such a strange and odd year. Yeah, it's a little bit different um, for those that have been in our clubhouse prior to the the, the virus situation and, and after. It's a totally different look. It's kind of broken up. It's sectioned, smaller groups and different pockets. But that hasn't prevented our guys from staying together and believing uh, that they can stay near each other and root for one another. And, you know, really what this culture is all about is um, some of all parts is better than just one person having a good day. So if we want a baseball game, I think the guys know like, hey, we want a good game. I want to I want to put aside what's frustrating me today, work on it, make make sure that I'm a part of that equation tomorrow. And, you know, I see I see a lot of brotherhood. I see one guy talking to another guy. Uh, we have really good young players that are being mentored by some guys that have done it the right way for a long time. And that's when it starts to get very powerful. You know, it, it, it's something that trips people out. Um, but I, I'm going to say it to you, too. I look, you know, after the A's just swept the Giants and had the big win yesterday, 15 to three. There's only 38 games left in the season. That's it. Yeah. yeah, it's scary. It's scary. And, yeah, I watched some of your highlights, obviously, looking at as much video as possible. Uh, the most recent games, I mean, the A's look like they were taking batting practice, right? They put a thump on, on, on the Giants, and they're a quality baseball team. So, you know, we, we don't – what we talked about at 3-8, and eight, we're going to talk about at 11-11. and 11. We can't put one game or one series or one team ahead of anybody else right now. We got to take care of today. We know the A's are a quality baseball team, and with 38 games left, that's got to be our granular granular focus. Because at the start of the season, we're like in a panic. We've got 60 games. We got it. We got it. We got it. That definitely didn't work for us. So we got to take care of today. We know quality teams walking in here, uh, and we got to play our best game. You know, we've had a couple guys get out to slow starts, and my whole thing was – Mentally, how are you going to deal with that? And for for you as a player, you now a coach, a manager, psychologist, whatever you have to do, yeah. uh, what do you do with a guy that – I mean, I'm looking at our own Chris Davis. I mean, what do you do with a guy who gets out to a slow start? Next thing you know, he's looking up and he's batting a buck 50. Yeah, we've had a couple of those guys, and it's hard. It's hard to watch them walk through that. Um, but to have the belief in them and know that they're going to keep working hard every single day, we're going to have some good results. A perfect example of that was Eduardo Escobar. He was probably hitting in that 150 range. He was he had 120 RBIs last year, uh, had a monster offensive year, and was one of our main catalysts inside the clubhouse and on the baseball field. To have him come into my office and tell him after the Colorado series that I was going to combo a day off with a um, a day off from the from the game to spend two days kind of researching, talking about getting a feel for your swing. Those types of things, are we're having conversations with those guys all the time. He went in, he banged away at it, he had two really good work days, and the, the results have been very positive with a big three-run home run that helped us win a game yesterday. So there's different strategies. You just got to be able to tap into the guys. You got to be able to communicate with the guys. And trust me, I've had Eduardo in, and I said, look, you're not the only guy that's struggling. It's league-wide, but I believe in you. You're going to come out of this. When good things happen, you're going to help us win games. I've asked Bob Melvin this, and I'm going to ask you, is, is the most important thing for you and your gig is trust? The players have trust in you? 
For sure, for sure. Um, look, we, we talk about part of our culture is, um, you know, communicating and building trust. And when they know you care and you trust, it's very powerful. And I'm gonna make some mistakes. I'm not gonna handle a lot of every situation just perfectly. I don't know what manager does. And when I do make a mistake, I talk about it openly with the guys and share with them and let them know that I would do it differently the next time. But here's my thinking. And I expect the same in return. What we talk about here is what's important to them is really important to me. So I want to make sure that I listen. And the bond and the trust here is very strong and it's very real. These players go out, they go out and perform without the worry or expectation of what the manager's thinking because I've already covered that with them. And I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but one of the things that we talked about down in San Diego at the winter meetings was, you know, you guys have the Dodgers. We've had the Astros. A's win 97 games, two straight years, and it only got you into a wild card game, right? And, yeah. and you've been fighting for the wild card. Well, since we've talked a lot's changed, there's now going to be 16 teams. The playoffs are going to be much different. What, what What's your thought process like when you now know, wait a minute, it's just not about one division winner and a wild card. Now there's going to be eight teams in the National League in the postseason. Yeah, obviously we're excited about that. We like the expanded role or expanded playoff situation because of the situa situation we got off to. The three and eight start has kind of put us in a situation where, you know, we, we're, we're going to hunt down the team in front of us. And that's all we got to worry about for right now. But the way I look at it is you just got to get into the big dance. You get into the big dance, you can hit some big three pointers down the line. You never know what could happen. A hot team. Look at look at what happened to the Nationals last year. Uh, they won a play in game. They ended up going the whole way and, and getting hot at the right time. So anybody's beatable we respect everybody in our division we expect we respect everybody that we're going to be playing this year and potentially down the road in the playoffs we just got to take care of our business when we do we're a good baseball team we get hot anything can happen you know i got to ask you about mass and bumgarner because so many people up here have watched him pitch his entire career with the san francisco giants and we look at the numbers obviously it's not the start he wants is you know he's a very proud man and he's one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time but We've seen a, 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 the lack of velocity that we normally see from him. And obviously so many of these pitchers with this summer camp and didn't have enough time. How's he doing? I know he's on the IL. Yeah, he's doing just fine. As a matter of fact, I'll connect with him right after I get done with you guys. I'm going to go on and, um, and spend a few minutes with him because he did throw a sim game today up to 50 pitches. And I didn't get a chance to see it, but I want to get a bird's eye view and see what he thought about how the outing went. So he's in a progression right now to get back on the field and help us win some baseball games. We got to remember that, uh, you know, he, he's a pretty dominant presence and he's got unbelievable stuff and he's helped our baseball team, even though he hasn't pitched up to his capabilities, but we got him, we brought him in here to pitch and pitch well. And we know that that will happen, but when you get banged up and you try to go out there uh, to help your team, so you're, you don't burn your bullpen, what you quickly realize is you're probably doing more more harm than good. So that's why we put him on the disabled list. He's recovering, he's doing well. And when he gets back out there, we know we're gonna we're gonna rely on him in a big way. Let's end on this. One of the funny things coming out of San Diego at the winter meetings was your great story about your birthday and Art House sending you down on your birthday. And a bunch of people are like, You can't send a guy down on his birthday. Come on. Yeah, God, you got a good memory. I'll tell you what, we were in Toronto. I just had a great lunch with Scott Brocious and Mike Bordick, and it was wonderful. We walked to the ballpark, we play in the game, and then we were going to have a, a nice big dinner at a restaurant. And, you know, it was a show dinner. It's what you love, right? It's my day. It's my birthday. And that blew up. I was on a plane back to San Francisco to, to get sent down out to Edmonton. But that's the beauty of the game. Art was so genuine and so real. And talk about trust. When he told me we're sending you down and it's painful and it hurt, 
that made me feel better. He said that he'd do all that he could to get me back. Unfortunately, it happened. But I love my time with the A's. Billy Bean, obviously running the show there, has was unbelievably uh, fair to me, gave me a chance, and that's all I could ever ask for. Hey, you're one of our favorites. We're pulling for you, not for these next couple days, but in the National League West, we're pulling for you. I hope to God you guys get into playoffs, and uh, probably the next time we'll see you spring training, but we want to talk to you later on the season. So continued success. Keep winning. Keep doing what you guys are doing down there in the Valley of the Sun. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Likewise, guys. Always a pleasure to spend time with you. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's one of my all-time favorites. He's one of the great leaders of men in Oakland A's history. We're bringing him back home. Of course, he's down there with the Diamondbacks right now. But Johnny Gomes is with us. Johnny, it's been a while. Yeah. Great to hear your voice. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Upright, kicking. We got baseball back. I got my coaching hat on. Um, way different this year, but you know what? We got the game back. We'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I think it meant so much to all of us just to have some type of season and to get things going, as uh, I'm sure you were like a lot of us, worried we may not even have a season. Yeah, yeah, no, I was uh, I was definitely leaning towards no, to tell you the honest truth. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of people, like, out of sight and out of mind that we won't even know about, but it was a huge process to get baseball back. I mean, there's some – the mask deal and the city, you know, all these testing and, you know, I mean, it was a huge process to get this thing back rolling. So, I mean, it's a, it's a cheers to all those people that were involved. So you're right now with the alternate site is what we're calling it. The players away from the big club uh, that are getting ready in case they need to be called on. How has that process been for you guys with the Diamondbacks? Um, it's interesting, man. It really is. So it's about, you know, hand selected throughout your minor leagues of 30 dudes, uh, 30 players, which is basically normally, you know, it's triple A all the way down to rookie ball, which is six levels, 25 guys, uh, per ball club is what you would normally have, but you know, it's cut all the way down to 30, um, not so much 30, your best, you know, I mean, because we just had, you know, a lot of teams just had uh, the draft or their draft picks that they wanted to bring in uh, and get those guys working. So, I mean, it's pretty interesting, man. I mean, there, there's the dudes in the alternate site, like, have never been closer to the big leagues as they are now, even if they played in AAA. Yeah, because I guess uh, when the ball club leaves Arizona – they're getting to go play in, in the big stadium, which has just got to be an absolute thrill for these guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, granted, there's no fans and stuff, but, I mean, the first time I was ever on a big week field was my first call-up, you know. So for these guys to get, you know, their feet wet, we're playing games inside Chase Field. Um, you know, we got some young guys facing some old guys. Uh, at the same time, some of our pitchers, you know, will stay back and they get to face them. So it's, it's huge for our player development side. Um, but at the same time, like with all these new like health rules and stuff, I mean, a guy could roll in with a 101 degree fever and he can't play. He's got to be out and you got to get someone up there just that quick. Not that he was injured or anything. They weren't even planning on it. So, um, yeah, these guys got to stay ready. And that's what we're doing. 
And I think about the young kids because we have a few of the young kids that obviously they are not going to be going to the big leagues, but it's about them not losing a year and being able to essentially grow as players. How important is it for these young guys to be facing almost big league ready talent and to make sure they don't lose a year of developing not only their skill set, but developing mentally? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's so huge. I mean, the most important thing for player development and young guys coming up is nothing more than games lost. The more baseball you see, the more you learn, the more you watch, the more you succeed, the more you struggle. That's true player development, like without having any coach input. Um, you know, we talk about like a 2000 at bat mark. Like you, we don't know the player until he's had about 2000 career at bats. And that's kind of what we get. So when you take away a whole season, we're knocking off between 400 and 500 at bats with these guys. So the select few that are here, um, you know, they're getting those and they got to grind and they might be going against guys way higher than, you know, their skill level, which is good. They're getting thrown to the wolves. And at the same time, there's some guys facing some, pitchers that are you know fresh so they gotta you know they gotta bang those guys in a little bit um it's it's a pretty pretty cool setup that we have and we're getting creative with the game because you just play yourselves you know you just have inner squads every single day um so we're keeping it competitive and it's pretty interesting and we're really not going to know until the following year you know who did it right and who did it wrong well obviously if there's anybody that knows about good culture in an organization it's you you helped develop it here in oakland in 2012 you've been a part of multiple world series teams you understand it uh tori lovello we've talked with him multiple times and he's so into doing things the right way building it the right way how do you view the arizona diamondback organization this organization is actually you know um you know, it's one of the younger organizations, right? So there's a lot of minds from other places that are here now, you know, starting from Mike Hazen, who's up top, you know, starting Cleveland, you know, built that Boston ball club that won a bunch of world series. Um, we got, you know, it's kind of all sprinkled in from a lot of places. So there's a lot of pieces of the pie that are now here in Arizona. So it did take a little bit. I mean, I think there was like four GMs here through, through six years, but the group that the Arizona Diamondbacks have now, um, we've ramped our minor league system. I think we went from like the high 20s down to within under, you know, 10 in just two years. Uh, last year, we won three titles in the minor leagues. So it's coming, man. It's coming. And the ball club they have right now, you know, I, I like the ball club they have right now. They just haven't quite hit their stride. Um, not ideal for a 60-game set, but... I mean, you look down, you look up, you can gain five or lose five. So um, every game is playoff atmosphere minus the atmosphere. <laughs> well, it's crazy going into tonight. I mean, you know, the A's are red hot. They won four straight, 13 to 15, pounded the Giants, uh, 15 to three, had two thrilling comebacks on Friday. They were down five on Friday, down three on Saturday. They came back. So they're riding this great confidence. And here's the crazy thing. It's like I tell everybody, like, there's only 38 games left. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're 38 games left. You're a fever away from losing your best player. 
you're a positive test losing a guy for 10 days. Um, I mean, there's no time to look up or look down. You got to have the blinders on and just attack what's ahead of you. And that goes, you know, for, for all 30 teams, um, you know, like what place you're in right now is completely irrelevant. You know, it's just like, you got to win today, win this, any, win this pitch, win this at bat. And then, um, you know, basically when you hear that buzzer, that's when you have time to look up, but you know, as hot as you are, you can definitely get that cold and, you know how it is. It's peaks and valleys throughout the major league season. And uh, the, the playoffs are expanded, too. There you go. So um, it's, it's, it's going to be cool. It's going to be a fun race down the end. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you today, as someone that's won a multiple World Series and knowing how tough everything is right now, it kind of bothered me. A lot of the old calmness, the old guard were like, ah, you can put an asterisk on this season. And I'm like, wait a minute. These players are having to go through a period of time on this planet and in sports that you've never seen before. A pandemic like this in Major League Baseball. And the fact that this sport is hanging by a thread every single day. And these guys are traveling around in hotels and flights and they're scared and they're worried about their families and they're worried about their kids. And now you're expanding the postseason, so there's more teams, which makes it harder. I honestly believe when this is all said and done, whoever is able to be at the top of the mountain and to say World Series champion, I'm going to look at them as one of the great World Series teams of all time because they've had to go through stuff no one has ever had to gone through before. What do you think about that? I think you totally, absolutely nailed it. I mean, it comes down to like when we're all at home and all this stuff and we have to like check in with the players and, you know, I do these little things and they're like, what do you, you know, what do you tell the players to keep motivated all this stuff? You know, and I talk about like what I coach and how I coach is what I've learned, what worked for me or what didn't work for me. And I never had to go through all this. So who am I to have input on it? Who am I to say like anything right or wrong? It's just... So we got total different views. There's more people involved this year than any other season. There's so much stuff that goes in behind the scenes, you know, with the flights and the buses and the, uh, you know, the checks with the temperature and protocol. And I mean, you see, as soon as you let your guard down a little bit, like maybe St. Louis and Miami, boom, 18 positives. So, I mean, if your team doesn't have any, you know, like you, you got to give them a little credit. You know, they're doing a lot more social distance, mask, whatever you believe. This guys are not going out. You know, um, you really have to check in to win this year. This is one of the hardest years ever to win because we know Major League Baseball is a marathon, and we just turned it into a sprint overnight. So I'm I'm totally on board with you. This is a definitely, definitely extremely difficult. You know, ball. Uh, season to win a title because it's really not the best team this year it's whoever's hottest at the end yeah and people love tournaments that's why i i know some people like oh this is this is just this year i'm like i don't know man i mean they expanded the playoffs in football basketball hockey it's worked for other sports i i, I got a feeling something like this is here to stay what do you think well that's what you know my thing was with us even playing Right. With us even playing and as smooth as it's gone, what's going to stick? I mean, you know, the most important thing is obviously the DH, you know, the runner at second with extra innings. 
uh, the expanded roster, the shorting, shortening of season, the double headers, the two sevens. As it stands right now, there's, you know, it's way different, but there hasn't been too many complaints. Um, you know, MLB and the players union got a bargaining agreement to come up and there's going to be a whole lot of sleep lost with uh, going back and forth. You can count on that. You know, I think about your time in Oakland and, and I'll never forget this. So we go over this 2012, we go over to Japan and going to be taking on the Seattle Mariners. And obviously those first two games, McCarthy and Cologne started, they didn't go well for the A's. We came back and opened again with the Seattle Mariners. You were my pregame show guest for opening day in Oakland. And you said, this team is going to go to the playoffs. And I know a lot of people yeah. went, I remember a lot of people went, what? 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 What's he talking about? There was something about your belief in the organization. It was special for you to be back home. You you knew the character of a lot of the guys in the clubhouse. What was it mm -hmm. about 2012 that made you believe and you helped all these other guys believe? Yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, it's kind of go through a lot of stuff, you know, with the club clubhouse, the culture, the environment. So when you really get inside a clubhouse of baseball, you need an environment, you need an attitude, and you need a mentality. And you can't have those things if there's not an end goal that everybody believes in, right? There's no environment without a goal. There's no culture without a goal. And um, where the A's kind of been before, you know, we're coming off that big trade with Andrew Bailey and, you know, a lot of guys. And someone just had to step up and set a goal and then truly fight for it instead of just putting it on paper, you know, with, you know, running my pie hole like that. I mean, I truly believe, and I've never took like a rebuilding at bat. I've never had an any of defense rebuilding defense. I mean, the time is now and 162 game season. We're in first place for four innings and just so happens to be the last four innings of the season. And that was to me with all these other championships and all these other playoffs, it's, if you don't win the World Series, the season kind of gets lost a little bit because, you know, you tip your hat to the champ. But that is one of the most majestic seasons that's happened in a long time. If you remember in the ALDS when uh, Verlander beat us in game five in Oakland, the whole team tipped their hat to our dugout afterwards. You will never see that again. It was, it was pretty powerful. It was. It was a magical year, and – you know, we remember it almost like it was a World Series title because it was just so crazy to think that the Rangers just kept falling and the A's kept winning. And the fact that you could actually get it down to game 162, never in the history yeah. of the game has a team never led. The A's never led the West at all until the very last out of the season. That has never happened in the game. And I doubt that will ever happen again in our lifetime. Yeah, it, it won't. And then you talk about, I think it was August 14th, we were 14 back. Um, that's never happened either. There's a whole lot. I mean, we were actually, and then Bart Cologne tested positive, we were going down the stretch with a must win with five rookies as our starting five. Um, and, man, you know, and then the following year, I think they had like seven all-stars, and, you know, the, the A's are on the map now. It was, it, it was awesome, and I tell you what, we did our share, but at the end of the day, we can only do so much without a captain of the ship, and that being Bob Melvin. 
And uh, and Bob, I trust. I've said it before. Well, this will be a perfect way to end this because I remember asking Bob at that time, as you guys were going through that great run, I said, Bob, if you could envision anyone on this team being a manager someday, who would it be? And he immediately said, Johnny Gomes. So the yeah. respect that he has for you it, to this day is unbelievable. Uh, for yeah. you, I know you're coaching now. Do you want to yeah. manage? Do you see yourself as being a manager in the big leagues? Um, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see going down the road. Um, you know, I got two hands. I was fortunate enough to get two rings, you know, the service time, you know, it's 10 years, put your mark on that. You know, I was fortunate enough to get that. Um, so, but at the end of the day, when you do get a ring, you know, you instantly want to start collecting those things. And you better believe if I was ever to get another one on a coaching staff, I would value it just as much, if not more um than a player so if that day comes you know if a ball club comes out and says i'm the man for the job you know there's only 30 of those positions in the whole world 7.5 billion people on the planet and there's only 30 of them so you gotta be very honored to take that but um yeah i mean I, I'm, I'm always up for a challenge and always up to lead lead a ship so we'll, we'll see down the road well, I can tell you, all these years doing this show, you've been one of our favorites and what you've meant to us, what what we've learned from you. Uh, it, it, it's been extraordinary. We have nothing but the ultimate respect. Oakland will always be home for you. You're always welcome yep. here. And uh, be safe. Continue to uh, enjoy te teaching. I know a lot of these young Diamondbacks are in good hands. We, we miss talking to you. We'll, we'll reach out again. Be well, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely, man. I mean, yeah, you're one of the best, too. I mean, it's super easy to talk to you, and you get it. There's uh, there's a lot of puppets out there, and you, you, you speak very well, and you're passionate, and us guys do appreciate stuff like that. And, um, you know, we'll catch up down the road. we got a nice little series here. Uh, Bob Melvin, too, coming back to the Dimebacks, where he took this ball club to the playoffs as well. So it's good for him, too. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk a little bit about a lot of your former players who so many are in the big leagues and uh, truly one of the great jobs and one of the great baseball programs in the country, UCLA. Thank you for the time. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you having me. We had a little brewing on brewing crime yesterday. Your, your guy, James Caprellian, making his debut for us. What a nice kid as we've gotten in here to meet him. But his first at-bats against Brandon Crawford, also a UCLA, UCLA Bruin. It's really hot up here, and he took him deep to dead central. Yeah, he did. Uh, it was so funny. We were all excited hearing that James was going to come in the game, and and of course, Brandon was coming up, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh God. And then... Uh, Brandon hits that, yeah, I think it was a 1-1 count to, to left center, almost center, and he hit it pretty good. Um, James, so after the game, I, I told I told Brandon, I said, hey, you need to treat that rookie a little better. He goes, welcome to the show. <laughs> and then James <laughs> on the other deck to tell me about the wind. He thought that Crawford got held by the wind a little bit. So it was, uh, was kind of funny because Brandon also said, hey, I got canning. Griffin Canning tonight over in uh, Anaheim. So uh, it was great to see those guys. And we had Tyler Heineman on the field as well. And so it was, um, it was ironic that James' first bat was, was against Brandon and Brandon did what he did. What does that mean to you? And, and I think about your great career and all the 
different phenomenal schools you've been at, Reno, USC, uh, Irvine with a terrific program, now UCLA. What is it like, whether you're the head coach, you're a coach, that, that you help touch one of these young men's lives that helps lead them to professional baseball and ultimately to play in the big leagues? Well, what does that mean to you? Well, I think I think you hit it on the head. It doesn't matter if you're the head coach or assistant coach or, you know, any sort of person that had something to do. Maybe it was small and maybe it was big, but it was uh, just a very proud moment uh, whenever they – they make the major leagues and then they establish themselves as, as Brandon did. And of course, Jared Cole and Trevor Bauer and, and you know, a few others. And just, um, you know, it, it makes it uh, feel uh, rewarding, I guess you would say, uh, in terms of, you know, particularly a guy like James, who's gone through a lot, you know, uh, during his amateur career and then certainly as his professional career. So uh, just a, uh, proud moment, uh, seeing them compete at really at the highest level. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, James will be in Oakland A's for uh, quite a while. You know, something that we talked to him about, and I've, you know, unfortunately talked to too many pitchers about this is yep. trying to recover from Tommy John. I mean, and for some reason, a lot of people in the media just thought that, you know, this is, hey, you go get a new arm. It's not a big deal. Yeah, you have the surgery, and 12 months later, you're back, and you're throwing harder. And it's like, no, that's not the deal. We've now pushed it back anywhere from 14 months to 18 months. And and like James and other pitchers that we've had, it's not always yeah. smooth sailing. And it, it's really tough to go through this procedure. And I'm sure you're now seeing it in, in kids at such a young age. It's alarming. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and you hit it right on the head. People think it's just a magic pill a lot of times. It's just, hey, let's just get a new ligament and, and we'll be back in 12 months. And, and you know, you hear of, of guys not coming back. It's uh, just not. And I think, you know, Dr. Elitrash and, and, and many of those guys will tell you that it's not, you know, it's not 100% that they'll come back and they'll come back stronger. In James's case, I, I think he had surgery in, in April of 2017. And uh, it was, uh, you know, really uh, a tough, a tough one to, to take. I mean, he, he was, uh, you know, kind of climbing the, the New York Yankee chain. And, uh, you know, they made him a first round pick uh, in, in 2015. And, and then, um, you know, he, he gets that picked, then he gets traded in July of 2017, to, which is always a blow. And, um, you know, then he hasn't done a lot really with Oakland. Um, but over the last, I guess, year, I guess you would say people are starting to see his, his potential and his health. And, you know, clearly I, I was so happy to see him yesterday. Just his health was, you know, 96, 97 with an 87 mile per hour slider. And, um, but you're right. You're, you're, you're hundred percent right. Guys don't come back all the time. So it's, there's a fear factor there. And, Unfortunately, guys are throwing as hard as they ever have, and you're seeing more guys get hurt. And uh, the ramp-up time and the recovery, and there's just a lot of delicate periods in, in a you know in a in a professional life that uh, you just hope that you know he can come back. And we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed that James stays healthy and stays on the track that he's on today. And I and I think about him, and he's been through a lot. He he addressed losing his mother. And then the surgery yeah. and everything. Just tell us what what a strong kid we're getting here in Oakland. Oh, you're getting you're getting a great kid. I mean, this guy understands team. He understands winning. 
He understands, you know, I think, you know, nature of a clubhouse. Uh, he understands family. Uh, he's very trustworthy. He's very respectful. Um, you know, he was drafted in 2015. If you really do the math, it's not as, as long as people really think it is. I mean, it's 2000, it's 2020. And, you know, usually a, a first round college pitcher, it's, it's year and a half, two years, you know, maybe three years. So, yeah, there is, there has been, a, a, you know, a pushback a little bit, but I just think you're getting a great person, uh, a guy that, uh, like I said, uh, understands things. He's been through a lot with Barb passing away in, in, in 14. And, um, you know, that was very dramatic as a young man and him growing up and him being a Bruin. And then of course you get the Tommy John thing. So I just think he's thankful for what he has. And, and uh, I really thought he was calm throughout the entire outing yesterday. People said, oh, I thought he was nervous. I, I didn't see that. Um, he gave up the home run, and then he lost a really tough bat to Dubon with that walk. And then he kind of pitched like he, you know, he had pitched. Uh, so I, I, just, I just think that he's uh, groomed for that, and, and he's prepared. And, and like I said, he's been through a lot, so that, that'll make a, uh, you know, a person tougher. And so I think you're getting a, a really good competitive, you know, right-hand pitcher. You know, one of our favorite guys to bring on this program is Trevor Bauer. And he's a t- yeah. he's the type of guy that, you know, you know, a lot of the athletes and the team's PR, they're like, only keep them for eight minutes and they're worried about time. I mean, oh, yeah. next, you know, you're sitting there, it's 25 minutes and we're still just rapping. I mean, he's he's so much yeah. fun to talk to. What was Trevor? And he, I love how he's outspoken. Whether you agree with him yeah. or disagree with him, we've always we've always wanted our athletes to give us real opinions. And then when someone does, they go, "We don't like that." I'm like, "Ah, stop it." The guy's got something to say. I love it. What was he like in college? Oh, he was he was fantastic. You know, he left high school early. Um, not not everybody knows that he left. He, he skipped the senior year in high school to to come to us, and he, and he had to go to Hart High School. His, his fall, so he graduated in December. He came in January, and he was a freshman pitcher of the year by, by June. Um, and then, of course, he was a Golden Spikes Award winner uh, his junior year when Garrett Cole was the number one pick his junior year. So he, he's got to be the only, you know, Golden Spikes Award winner ever to be a number two uh, on any staff. I mean, that, that's for sure. But he was very outspoken, uh, very advanced for his age. Um, mechanically and biomechanics and just visually and uh, training and, and so forth. So he was his own person, uh, but he had a, you know, he had a mature like any, like all, all of them do. And uh, he, he grew throughout his years at UCLA and, you know, clearly he's a, you know, one of the top pitchers in, in the game and uh, along with Garrett certainly, but uh, you know, we just always appreciated Trevor for his opinion uh, and his honesty um, he did have a, a great personality. Um, he wanted the team to win. He was a very, uh, you know, he led us to, uh, you know, playing the national championship game in 2010, along with Garrett. And, uh, you know, I think Trevor is really throwing the ball extremely well this season, um, as well as anybody in the league. And um, like you said, he's just, he's, he's enjoyed to talk to. He's a very, very bright guy and very opinionated guy, which gets him in trouble at times. But, um, but at, at the same time, um, he's honest and, uh, we appreciate that. You know, I, 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 feel so bad for so many of these young athletes. We'll stay in baseball, 
but really yeah. we could go uh, men's sport, female sports, whether it's college, high school. I just, my, my heart goes out to all these kids who didn't get their seat. I mean, your senior year of high school to not be able yeah. to play baseball, your senior or your senior year of college. And I, and I know there's like an ability for some kids to come back, but some kids are already going to move on. And as a coach, yeah. you know, people don't realize this. You only get so many scholarships and you have to break them up. And it's just, just how tough has this been for you and your career? Cause you know what a lot of people don't understand. And, and, and you'll remember my old coach, Sam Peraro is, is, uh -huh. You're an educator. You're just not a baseball coach. Your job is to educate these kids to help them because not everybody's going to be Trevor Bauer. Not everybody's going to be Garrett Cole. Is these kids need to graduate because they're going to need to have jobs to support their families someday. So as a coach, as an educator, just how tough has this been for you? Oh, it's been extremely tough. I, I, I feel 100% exactly the same way. Just my, my heart goes out to, to all the all the families, all the players. Uh, the guys that, you know, lost that experience of their senior year in high school, senior year in college, um, you know, you just, it, it's lost time that you just can't get back. And, um, you know, unfortunately, some of them have moved on. Uh, some of the seniors, you know, in high school, you know, you know, really don't get looked at properly. Uh, they don't get evaluated the, the right way. I mean, I'm, at, I'm on, I have another stream, uh, another uh, computer going right now that I'm watching the stream uh, out at Sam Manuel Stadium. Uh, you know, it's just times have changed and evaluation has changed and performance and projection and evaluation. And it's just um, really, really difficult, not only um, on them, but on us as well. Um, you know, just trying to see as many players as you can and what type of shape are they in? Some of them you know, didn't get really had very limited, you know, workout abilities during, you know, during the time off and some never, never threw or shot a basket or did anything. And uh, regardless of the sport. So it, it's just, uh, you know, I just feel for them because the, uh, like you said, the teaching aspect, the culture aspect, they lose the, the atmosphere, the culture, the, the growth development, the personal development, uh, the game development, the, you know, the, the strength component. I mean, there's just so many things that, you know, we're going to have to grab back. I mean, we were 13 and two and top five team in the country. And, you know, we have, we're, we have to, you know, really, we have to build, rebuild that team. And, um, you know, it's just so disheartening really just for, like you said, all the, all the players that lost those years and, and just, uh, we've got to just have to keep our fingers crossed and hopefully we'll get back on the field in uh, 2021. Yeah, and we have no idea what college sports is going to look like from conference to conference. We're hearing that certain sports are just going to be eliminated, and it's just it's really, really yeah. sad what COVID has done to college sports. It's um, I, I feel for so many people out there. You know, one thing that you can help us with, obviously being a national champion and been to the college world series and to the regionals so many times is for the first time really in baseball, we're going to have a tournament field. We're going to have uh, I should say a tournament field. We're going to have 16 teams. This is going to be yeah. dramatically different from what anybody in baseball is used to. I just, ha ha I think it's going to be really, really exciting. How do you view a tournament for major league baseball? Oh, I think it's going to be, Awesome. I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to, you know, 
<laughs> it's going to expose the the tough and it can expose the weak. I mean, it's just it's just going to be so uh, magnified. And all you know, each year the playoffs certainly are. I just think that you know, you know, depending on the you know, is it a one game series? Is it two best two out of three? Is it? It's just everything is just so dramatic and it's going to be like a, an NCAA field and people are going to get knocked off in advance and the hot team, it's going to be, it's all about hot teams. And uh, you know, a team that may not be playing so well right now could be playing well in, in 40 games. So it's, uh, and you look at the nationals last season, what they did through the first, I mean, they would never even been in the playoffs if, if they would have been in a 60 game schedule and, and they, they end up winning a, a world championship. I just think it's, um, you know, it's just the 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 pitching and the defense and the mistakes and the and the you know the the the, the good at bats and just the, the the game itself is going to be affected and you're really going to see who who can play and um, it's just uh, like you said I I'm looking forward to that excitement I'm looking forward to that anxiety I, I guess you would say and and that stress level that each game will bring that. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it's, it's just ramped up. It's just, uh, it's going at a much faster pace and a faster, you know, um, uh, speed. So um, it should be a lot of fun. I just hope that everybody can stay healthy. Guys are going down left and right. And that's, that's scary, um, you know, pitching particularly. And, and I just hope that, um, you know, by the time we get to playoffs, it, you know, the best teams will, will be in the, you know, I guess sweet 16, you would call it. And, and then, uh, then it's on, and, and then it's just a mad dash to the, to the championship. Well, I got to tell you, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed, and we're praying that uh, next year college baseball will be back and well to get my beloved Spartans back on the field, and, of course, uh, the Pac-12 and your great program, and just get these kids playing baseball again. I just hope that we're going to have that in 2021. And just congratulations to all the success that you've had in your career, and especially at UCLA. Uh, you run one of the great programs that we have in college baseball. So continued success. Success, stay healthy, be well, and we'd love to check in with you again sometime. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and and I, you know, it's, a, it's an honor to be to be with you today, and, and it's a pleasure. And and just like you said, we got to keep our fingers crossed, and hopefully, Major League Baseball will finish this thing out and 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 move on to next season. And and uh, really looking forward to you know keep on following the A's. You know, one of the greatest things about COVID-19 and being a part of this weird season is every single morning when I'm either going to play golf or I'm going to practice golf, that's my only uh, salvage to what's going on, the power alley gets me going, whether it's uh, XM89 or it's on my phone with the AirPods. As I was chipping this morning as you had Scott Service on, Mike, it is always great to have you on the program. And, yes, I am one of your your loyal listeners. Uh, well, I know because I got a DM from you yesterday morning. We were we, So rather than talk about all the crap surrounding the – can I say that on A's cast? I think yeah. I can, right? We're streaming. The, You're good. The, the, like, the 3-0 um, Tatis stuff. Like, we, we took the opening segment yesterday, rather than that, to compare Tatis to – um, Soto and Acuna, right? Because they're the same age. And we got into this whole discussion. I, I knew you were listening, talking about like, okay, how does it compare to Trout, Machado, and Harper, right? And like, when you look at Trout and see that his wins above replacement for his career 
are twice <laughs> what Harper and Machado are combined. Like it's like, it's just incredible. So I noticed you pointed out right away that he's got what 38 career homers against the A's. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Just 38. He's not even 30, just 38 <laughs> career dingers. He's not going to catch the all time guy though. So all time in Oakland history, it's uh, he's going to catch these guys, a rod and Palmero at 43, but the all time leader in home runs against the, oh, let me guess, let, let me guess, let me guess. So it's somebody who had to play in the division for a long, long time yes, and be a really, really good hitter. You've heard and, of him uh, probably. And he, he's in the hall of fame. Uh, yeah, he's got his he own was... wing. <laughs> well, that would be, uh, well, since the move to Oakland. No, no, no. All time. Oh, all time. Then it's Babe Ruth. Yeah, Babe Ruth has a hundred eight. Yeah, well, and they played at the Baker Bowl, right? Didn't the A's play at the Baker Bowl then, which is like one of the great hitters' ballpark of all time? I believe it was eighteen feet down the right field line. So yeah, yeah, and he played them like every other week because there was like eight teams. So yeah, <laughs> you know, we've been doing unwritten rules for radio slash streaming, and I came up with one like like. One unwritten rule for us is if you have a partner who's using a fake name, you yes. can't allude to the audience that, hey, this isn't really this guy's name. You can't do that. We've come up with a, you actually did one to the Duke in this to where you asked him a really tough question. And I could tell that Jim was like, uh, when you just went, hey, uh, you know, Soto, Acuna or Tatis, rank him. Who'd you take? And he was like, uh. He clearly had no idea you were going there. No, that, no clue. That is a very um, – and when you're doing live, all of a sudden you have to sit back and you go, Jesus, how am I really going to rank these three? Well, but but so, so we do a lot of the rankings anyway, and so we've, been, we've played the game with Acuna and Soto. And rather than go down the road, which was on our – we have great producers, and our producer Hunter put together a rundown talking about the 3-0 stuff because everybody seemed to be talking about it. And I am tired of talking about those things. I think one of the ways that we can get away from talking about the unwritten rules is if we just ignore the fact that there are supposedly these unwritten rules. Why do we need to amplify it? Why do we need two days of Twitter discourse on stuff that's bull roar? So – so I took it in another direction. And Jim is really good at handling that. I knew where he was going to go with it, or at least I had a feel of it. We've worked together for almost a decade because it, you're always going to value the middle infielder who does all the things that the corner outfielders do best. And so, you know, then you get a chance to kind of delve into the stats and double check your work. And and so I, I was I don't think I would have done it if I had if it had been completely out of bounds. But I think with something like that, he knew where he was going to go. He just wasn't expecting me to ask him right at that minute so about a week and a half ago and this is what i love because now that we don't have program directors and we have to deal with these jackasses you know they always hate when, when you don't, don't say that i like track. my program director he used to be my producer you say don't get off track don't take the don't take the car off the track you guys started a show like a week and a half ago yeah that it got so off the rails so fast i was rolling i was driving down the road heading to the course absolutely rolling going you know what that is funny, whether you call it satellite, terrestrial, streaming, whatever. That was funny stuff. Thank you. I mean, I, I think we do get off the rails and we get off track for the a, a lot of times, but we're just trying to have fun. I mean, it's one, it's just radio. Two, it's just baseball. And three, like, man, like, don't we just need to laugh at this point? I mean, like every time we turn around to something else that's just like gets us, it's eye-rollingly horrible, right? So... 
let's just have some fun and relax a little bit. And Jim is really, Jim is really great as a, a radio partner at go at following down the path of where you want to go. And we have, we have, as I mentioned, one of our producers, Hunter is, is really great at being organized. And our other one, Brady is really funny. And he's kind of our third man in and man, like we, we can have a really good time. And I mean, this is supposed to be fun. I mean, I think one of the arguments, I don't agree with everything that Trevor Bauer says, but one of the things that Trevor Bauer talks about is baseball announcers don't always sound like they love baseball. We love baseball, but we also know what baseball's place is. It's entertainment, right? Like we should sound like we're having fun talking about baseball because you know what they're doing? They're paying us to talk about baseball. When A-Rod says something ridiculous, like Bogart's endeavors are the guys that you want to count on when the bacon is on the table. Like we need to have fun with that because yeah. that's ridiculous. Like God, like, like, I know, like, it's a great malaprop and it's very Jerry Coleman esque, but like, at the same time, like, that's fun. It's it's just baseball in the end. This is supposed to be a good time. Where uh, A Rod says Devers is better than Chapman defensively, and Matt Bethurst <laughs> has to check him, going, uh, you know about the guy in Oakland. By the way, behind well, he said you, Devers was better, was the best defender this week, but last week he said it was Urshela. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is not true because I don't know if you know this, but Matt Chapman is the best. In like, if you want to argue with me on Arenado, okay. Even if you want to play a legacy game with Machado, a little bit Machado, like the catch Machado made yesterday was pretty ridiculous. You see that one down the right field line. Yeah. I know that's not where a third baseman generally plays, but like those are the guys that you would consider in the team photo. And then there's everybody else, right? Like that's if you want to challenge on Matt Chapman, at least challenge with one of the guys who's really, really good at it. You know, to me, it's Chapman, but it's not that like Arenado's not very far behind him. I see a lot of Arenado. Arenado's ridiculous. Like his reaction times are like unbelievable. So, like, if you want to argue that one, that's a great argument. But don't give me Raphael Devers as the Raphael Devers isn't even the best third baseman on the left side of their infield. Bogarts is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bacon on the table. Thank you, Ray Rod. Oh, um, you know this series. You know, we talked to Tori before. What did we talk to him two days ago? Or what got him? When went Cody, when did we talk to Tori Lavella? Was that yesterday or the day with these days? COVID days are all running together. Oh, uh, we talked <laughs> to him on Monday. You didn't leave the house. When was it? Uh, Monday afternoon. All right. So we talked to him Monday and it was like, and I'm looking at the first 11 games versus the last 11 mm -hmm. games. And then I watch him take it to the A's the last two days. And I've got to tell you, the two teams that I've been the most impressed with that I've seen live now from the National League West, you guys, and I've been very impressed with the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, I, I think so. If you had seen the Diamondbacks in the first two weeks of the season, you probably would not have felt that way. I mean, it was a pretty miserable start. I mean, they, they were hitting well under 200 as a team and the starting pitching was really, really bad. I mean, Bumgarner was struggling. Robbie Ray wasn't getting out of the fourth inning. Luke Weaver, you know, had his longest start of the year yesterday. So like th they really weren't like the, their best starters were Merrill Kelly. And after his first go around Zach Allen, and you got to see Pete Gallen. Like, Zach Allen is really good. Like objectively, that guy is really good. So they had a couple of good ones. Now they're starting to get that back in line and the offense is starting to swing the bat better. They swung the bat well against Houston. They struggled in the weekend series against San Diego, you know, two weekends ago, but part of that was because Denelson Lamette had unbelievable stuff. And yeah, I don't think you've seen Lamette yet this year, but he's 
crazy good. I mean, it's like 98 with a wipeout slider, and he's filling up the strike zone now. Um, and Zach Davies pitched a really good game where he was dotting everything at the bottom of the zone. So what are you going to do? And then you go to Colorado, take advantage of their bullpen a little bit, take advantage of good hitting, come home, and they've continued to swing the bats well as they swept San Diego and then won the, the first two in this home-and-home home against the A's. So things have started to turn a little bit. They felt like this was going to be a playoff team coming into the season, um, and they're playing much more like it now. They need to continue. The rotation needs to continue to pitch well this turn through as well. 90 runs in 13 games, and it's not like the A's where it's – it's the three true outcomes. When they hit home runs, they score runs. You guys are getting them in bunches without home runs and hitting with mm-hmm. runners in scoring position. It's uh, It's been very impressive. You know, one guy that obviously up here people are going to be interested in is Madison Bumgarner, 0-3 with the high ERA. Sure. A lot of money on that contract. Velocity is down. The velocity's been going down over the years. I'm not going to say buyer's remorse yet, but I can't think people in the Valley of the Sun are thrilled with the start. Well, you know, what's so weird about it is he came out in his first spring training start in March and was like, or on February, I guess at that point, was like 91, 92. So for him to be averaging, what, 88.7 or whatever it is, or 89 miles an hour on his fastball now in August is really weird. And he didn't get hurt. I don't think he had the best facilities available to him in rural North Carolina where he lives during the shutdown. So I'm sure he was probably doing more arm maintenance, the buildup. But you're right. It hasn't been great. Now, that said, the first outing, he was basically one pitch away. If he, if he buries a slider instead of hanging one to Eric Hosmer, he's out of it with six shutout innings in his debut. He pitched pretty well against his Texas in his second start. His third one wasn't good. His fourth one, he was hurt and trying to gut through. And so we'll see what happens. He apparently was, you know, the velocity wasn't back into the 90s or the low 90s like it was in spring training in his um, simulated game on Monday, but the ball was coming out significantly better. And I think, you know, there's a good chance that you see him this next turn through the rotation come back in and it's going to be about command for him. It's going to be how he locates the the fastball, how he's able to use his cutter and it and his curve and change up a little bit more off of that. And we'll see. I think he should get a mu- little bit of a mulligan through his first four starts because I don't, you know, I think he was trying to gut through some stuff and I think he's still trying to figure it out, but I think, you know, this little break is um, is giving him an opportunity to reset a little bit. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see a much more competitive pitcher come out when he gets activated from the IL. Listen to your guys' show. Trading deadline is just right around the corner. You guys don't see really any big names mm-hmm. uh, being dealt, just maybe some young players. I, I And it's really tough to see a young player for young player trade, you know, like what the Diamondbacks did last year with the Marlins and the Zach Gallon for Jazz Chisholm deal just doesn't happen very often. So I'm sure you're going to see some relievers moved because relievers always get moved. You may see some starters get moved, but I would think that they're low cost guys that are, uh, you know, on the end of their contract, you know, like think like Taiwan Walker in Seattle, like that kind of guy. I, I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of activity because I don't think teams have I mean, first and foremost, I don't think teams have the money that they're willing to spend on payroll, especially with uncertainty of what 2021 is going to look like to be able to commit dollars. And I don't know that they necessarily feel like they have dollars to commit this year based on 
on the fact that they haven't been able to have fans in the stands. And so I think, you know, whether we can debate whether or not, you know, owners are forthright in their books or not, but that's going to be the reality of the situation that is, as it, um, you know, as it approaches the trade deadline and why I think it's going to be really, really quiet for the most part. It's, I think it's going to be, you know, better hope you have most of your depth figured out now. Plus, like we're probably only looking at a handful of legit sellers. I mean, we're, we're taking eight teams in each league, right? And so, you know, if you're within a couple of games on August 31st, are you really going to be selling away stuff if you feel like you could sneak into the eighth spot? You know, Kansas City's not going to do that. Detroit's really probably not going to do that. And their best chip, Matthew Boyd, hasn't pitched all that well. You know, maybe Boston or Seattle has somebody that they move. Maybe Pittsburgh does. Maybe San Francisco does. But like, there's not a whole lot of sexy names on any of those rosters either that make you go, man, I really want to get that guy at the deadline. So I think it, I think it has a chance to be a, a very, very slow trade deadline. So we know baseball is looking into a bubble, and it's starting to come out right now that it looks like the NFL could now be starting to look at a bubble. And it kind of takes me back to something that you guys – that I think you said briefly this morning – and I thought was very interesting is unless there is a treatment, we can pretty much guarantee there won't be a vaccine available by the time baseball starts next year. So it's all really about a treatment. We got a lot of, a lot of smart people here in the Bay area working on it. And a lot of people around the world are working on it. They got a schedule out for 2021. I don't know if we're playing and you mentioned this this morning. I, I don't know if we're playing this schedule that they're talking about. We could be, back into a bubble next year or something that we're seeing right now. The West plays the West, the central plays mm-hmm. the central, the East plays the East. You know, they can talk about a 2021 schedule, but kind of what we're seeing now, which I've talked about realignment for a long time, which could be happening anyway. Now we realize this could be better for all teams. Anyway, this could start becoming, wouldn't you say the new normal versus what we're even potentially seeing with the 2021 schedule. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that there are a lot of things that we could do scheduling-wise to help to modernize things and also to reduce travel. I mean, I think there are a lot of different possibilities that exist. Um, the one advantage that the 2021 schedule already has is that it is lined up regionally, west versus west, central versus central, east versus east. So they kept with the, what was supposed to be that year in the rotation rather than trying to shoehorn, you know, the National League West would have played the AL Central th- this year um, if we had had a normal schedule. So I think that that at least helps that some. But you're right. I mean, we don't, you know, like knock on wood, we get you know, sometime maybe late fall, early winter. Okay. There's a vaccine. We know it's effective. We know it's safe. Let's let's get it out there and let's get it to frontline workers and let's get it to, to um, you know, the elderly and to the people that need it the most. And then let's gradually get it to people. Well, then your best case scenario is probably sometime in second quarter next year, where you're able to get it enough where people feel good about coming back to the ballpark. What does that do for the schedule next year? Do you wait until if you know that, Hey, listen, there's a very, good chance that everybody is going to have it by the end of May. Do you wait to start your season until June or do you, and this is all hypothetical, right? This isn't from coming from anybody in MLB's office. This isn't coming from any conversation, but like, or does it make sense? Hey, do we, maybe we do the spring training bubble idea or create bubbles, you know, for the early part of the season, knowing that we're going to get out of it and we're going to get back to be able to have fans at some point, you know, further down the road. I think that there are a lot of options that are out there. I think it's going to take a lot of creativity to figure out what the 
early stages, especially of the 2021 season are going to look like. And then the other part of it is, and this comes, this is less about the virus and more about the after effects of the virus in that economically, we're not going to be walking into the same environment in 2021 that we were walking into 2020. And with the unemployment rate where it is, how much disposable income are people really going to have to go to sporting events or go to, to do entertainment? It, you know, how many of them are going to be able to, who've lost their jobs are going to be able to get jobs back, you know, immediately as soon as there's a vaccine that helps us begin to return to normal. And I think that's the other reality that baseball is trying to deal with is like, Hey, listen, like we may have lost all these revenues this year, but we're also going to lose a lot of them next year. And I don't think that that's crazy to think. And I think that that's probably smart to be planning for that. My hope is that they spend that time between, you know, what we hope, knock on wood, is the end of the World Series this year and the beginning of spring training next year, planning for all of those things to try and create an environment where we can get as much of a season in as possible and do it as safely as possible. I just hope that we can be in Arizona and have beers together at spring training. Oh, man, I would love that. You know, the last, the day before everything shut down or two days before everything shut down was the day we had the broadcasters dinner over at our house. So, like, that was the last group get-together we had was, like, oh, they, I think you guys split that day. But, yeah. like, Ken was here, and, like, I got a great picture of Joe Davis biting into a pork chop, like, holding on to the, the bone. Like, <laughs> we had, like, 20 broadcasters at our house, and, like, two days later, our world changed, right? So, I would like to be in a position where when we have spring training in Arizona, let's say even if it starts in June, it's 110 degrees, we have everybody in our backyard again. Let's end on this. Hard to believe when I tell you this for the A's, just 36 games left in the season. <laughs> this has been wild. I've been saying it's like a football season. Every game matters. I don't care how you win, just win. Style points don't matter whatsoever. What's been your favorite part of this shortened season? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, what's been my favorite part? I, I gotta say it's just something real simple. It's like just being able to have baseball back has been really great. I mean, after what was, I mean, especially as uncertain as everything was back in March and the first part of April, when we didn't know a whole lot about what was going on with this virus. And like, remember, like, remember how, how afraid we were to leave the house and how, if you got a package delivered, you would wipe it down with, with <laughs> Clorox wipes or whatever, how we couldn't buy toilet paper anywhere. Right. Like yeah. all of those things to have baseball on to me has been the best part of the season. The first couple of weeks were sloppy as hell because nobody had any real preparation for the season. There weren't any real game competitions to ramp up, but it was great to see it. And now I think it's the fact that there's competitive games. You would get to see, you know, young players. We get to see, we get to see good baseball again, I think is great. And, you know, with the, and I get, I'm not a huge fan of the idea long-term, but for this season, I like the idea of eight teams in each league making the playoffs because it it's, um, you know, it, I think it makes things a little bit more equitable. Um, and it kind of helps to save you a little bit if you had a really rotten start that, you know, if you're still a good team, you have a chance to get in. And so like watching teams be able to, to, you know, fight for playoff spots and fight for, playoff battles that they might not have been able to otherwise. I think that's, what's going to be really fun over the next, you know, six weeks or so. I'm just happy that it's back. It's, it's great to see baseball on my TV. I love baseball. So like anytime I get to watch it, I don't care at what level I love it. And the fact that we've had major league baseball back has been great. And now the knock on wood, we can just keep everybody safe for the rest of this way. And we can get all the way through the postseason. 
MLB Now is my favorite baseball TV show. The Power Alley is my favorite audio baseball show. I will be teeing off tomorrow at 7.50 Pacific, so I will be listening on my way to the golf course, supporting my favorite show. Well, I appreciate that. One of those shows is far smarter than the others, and it's not the radio show. I've been saying that about you for years. The TV is way smarter than I am. Oh, Something called the boob tube is way smarter than me. That's true. Come on, you got a former GM on with you. You guys are spitting knowledge There's every morning. We have three former GMs on staff. If they were really smart, they wouldn't be former GMs. I told Brian Kenny, man, I mean, you just put makeup on in the morning. That's all you're doing. <laughs> all right, buddy, you be well. Have some good calls. Hopefully the athletics can get some back, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, stay safe. Good to be with you. Well, it's always great to have Gonzo on the program, one of the most feared hitters of his time and still connected to the president of the Arizona Diamondbacks as the Arizona Diamondbacks. Luis, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they got out to a slow start. Uh, Look out. They're playing great ball. They've scored 90 runs in 13 games. Yeah, they really have found their niche right now, and they're clicking on all cylinders. They had a great series against – the Houston Astros when they got home. And then of course the Oakland A's came into town and uh, uh, they've been playing well ever since they're on a six game winning streak right now. And the one thing that we see in baseball so much is like teams hit home runs, they score teams don't hit home runs. They don't score. And that's something that is, that impressed me coming in kind of researching this series is just how well they're moving the line and hitting with runners in scoring position. Everything for the Diamondbacks is not about hitting home runs. Well, in the, you know, the first part of the season, the first, I'd say about seven or eight games, they only average, they only hit two home runs. So there was a a lot of worrying about their, their power, if they were going to have the same potential power that they had last year. And, of course, uh, the ability to score runs. But as of late, these guys have just jumped on the accelerator and have been able to to do a little bit of everything. They've been able to come up clutch with big hits when they need them and uh, get guys on base and uh, really just kind of tr- cutting down on their strikeouts and, and hitting more for average and hitting the ball over the wall every now and then. You know, in your career, you had some monster years, and then you had some years that weren't the biggest years of your career. Uh, what do you think this season would be like? It's a shortened season. You know, some guys get out to a hot start. They can't wait to get to the bat rack. They can't wait to get to the ballpark. And then you got other guys that here they are 20-something games in. They're not even hitting their weight. Yeah, it's it's been difficult for a lot of guys, especially because, you know, the baseball players are more in tune to routines. And I'm sure, especially the older guys, their routine has been thrown out of whack. I mean, these guys that have been playing 10, 12 years in the big leagues. Uh, superstar guys are used to doing what they do every single day for the last, you know, so many years that they've been playing. But now everything has been thrown into kind of disarray. Uh, they've, they've had to re-evaluate and re-prepare of how they get ready for games. For some, it has worked. And for a lot of big-name guys that you would normally see at the top of the leaderboards and averages and doing things like that are really struggling this year to, to try to catch up to everybody. 
you know, a question that has been asked because of everything that happened with, with the Astros and now limiting video and no video during the game. And a lot of these guys now, these modern day players, they've been so used to being able to take in a bat, go up, look at their at bat on video, make adjustments and doing it almost every single at bat. Now they don't get to do it at all. Do it at all. You can call it a crutch. You can call it whatever it is. How much do you think this may be affecting some hitters that when you talk about getting out of their routine, taking video away from them has gotten them out of their in-game routine? Yeah, I think I think a lot has uh, has hindered a lot of these guys because of the simple fact that that's the way they came up. I mean, for the old veteran guys, towards the end of my career, I started seeing that happening. More video starting to come into effect and. And a lot of the younger players using that a lot more than what the older guys were using. The older guys would just say, give me his best velocity. Uh, you know, what's, what's the hardest he throws? What are his out pitches? What does he like to throw with runners in scoring position to try to get that strike out or what he needs? And now guys are trying to pick up, you know, uh, launch angles and rotations and, you know, just, just a bunch of different things. Um, instead of simplifying, sometimes they make it too, too difficult. And I think right now players are starting to get back into simplify mode and just going out there, seeing the ball, hitting it, because you really, like you said, you don't have that time to go back after at-bats and go, uh, you know, look at your A-B and, and study it and see what he threw you and, and go back out there because they're not allowed to go into those video rooms. How many times did you ever check your spin rate or your launch angle? <laughs> I never did. I actually just tried to put the ball in play and just try to hit it hard. Yeah. I remember we were talking with Coco Crisp about that. Uh, he was on the show. He was like, man, I was sea ball hit ball. I have no idea what these guys are talking about. Yeah. I, I, you know, I see it a lot more now with the younger guys and that's the generation, the way it is. You know, I have a younger son that plays in the minor league system with the San Francisco giants and and, uh, you know, they're all that way. They are, they're all looking for the different technology of what's going to help them get to the big leagues quicker and, and uh, make them stronger and, and get that launch angle and different things like that. And, you know, I, you know, how hard they're hitting the ball off the bat and things like that. And I keep reminding my son, I go, hey, man, the, the biggest hit of my career was a bloop single. So I don't think anybody's going to ever worry about if that ball was hit 110 off the bat, if it falls in for a single or double, or if you hit one over the wall. Um, I, I think most teams are more worried about results of what, you know, what numbers you're going to put up, how many runs you're going to drive in or how hard, you know, pitchers are going to throw strikes and different things like that. So I, I think a lot of times players get caught up in the numbers instead of going out there and just performing. Yeah. That's the greatest bloop single in the history of the game. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I, it wasn't the way I dreamed about it, but in, in reality, I'll take that bloop single any day. We, we had Tori Lovello because we got to meet him and know him down at the winter meetings, and we had him on Monday on the show, and I, and I told him, I said, you know, Tori, you know, he's a former A, and we're like, Tori, we're rooting for you guys, and, it's, and I'm rooting now for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The only time I've ever rooted for the Arizona Diamondbacks before in my life was when you guys were taking on the Yankees, and, and now it's like uh, it's a good story seeing what the D-backs are going on, but, you know, with Bob Melvin and, and – and the fact that I thought it was really cool, kind of the same thing we did up here in the Bay Area is we celebrated the A's that won the World Series in 72, 73, 74. And then we celebrated the team that won in 1989. I, I got to think during the COVID break, and I know Bob Melvin was on a few of those shows, and I know you guys are pretty tight. 
Uh, I got to think that was pretty cool going back and reliving truly one of the great World Series of all time and you guys taking down the big bad Yankees. Yeah, Bo Mel is one of my favorites. I mean, not just as a, you know, I, I had him as a coach and as a manager here with the Diamondbacks. And and I honestly believe the Oakland A's have a gem in him. And he always finds a way to relate very well with his players and his coaches and everyone. And I love the guy. I mean, he's like family to me. I talk to him a lot during the offseason. Occasionally we'll text during the season because I watch a lot of the Oakland A's games because he's one of my favorites. And I always want you guys to do well. The Oakland A's do well whenever, uh, you know, they're playing. So, um, you know, I'm so happy for him and to see what the Oakland A's have always done with the talent. Uh, They don't always keep it there. A lot of these guys go out there, they put big years and they end up moving on. But you always see his teams and he's always got these young, bright superstar guys that continue to go out there and put up big numbers. You know, there's something about Bob and his relationship with his players, the trust that his players have, especially in today's baseball where there's a lot of tough decisions because decisions are being made by analytics. So you're you're trying to put players in the best possible position for them to succeed. And at that same time, you could be potentially taking at-bats away from a guy. You could be taking innings away from a guy. But it's amazing how the players understand it and respect Bob. He treats them as men, and they trust him that he's always going to try and put them in the best situation to succeed. That word trust is so big in that clubhouse with Bob and his players. Oh, you're exactly right, Chris. I think the big thing with him is he's honest with everyone and he tells you straightforward the way it is. He's not going to, you know, try to sugarcoat anything. And I think players respect that. And and, and he was always like that, uh, you know, when he was the right-hand man with Bob Brenly being the manager here at the time that we won the World Series. He was always the guy going around the clubhouse just making sure guys were okay and if there was any problems or issues to let him know or to let uh, Brenly know. And, and you know, you respect that. And, and uh, even if it was a positive thing or a negative thing, they were always honest with you. And I think um, that's why I'm so happy for him. He's been in Oakland for a long time doing a fantastic job. And it's never a surprise, I think, to the guys that play the game and people around baseball that always see his team in contention all the time. And, and I'm happy for them right now that you guys are sitting at top of the uh, – of the American League West right now and and uh, and playing well. You know, Mike Farron from the D-backs knew that we were going to have you on today. So what? So there's some story about Bob Melvin and clowns? <laughs> yeah. 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 He, uh, he, Bo Mel has a phobia with clowns. And uh, when he left us and, uh, and actually went to the Oakland A's, we were playing, uh, they came over for a road trip uh, to play in Tucson at the time. And, uh, I, it was lunchtime and, and I told uh, our manager, I said, man, what can I do to get Bowmel? You know, we all love him, all the guys on the team and we missed him. And, uh, you know, we, we, I, I said, man, I know he's scared of clowns. So I called a, a, a place and said, Hey, I need to try to get some clowns to come out to the ballpark. <laughs> and they go, yeah, sure. No problem. When can you get them? And I said, well, I need them here in about an hour or two. And they're like, sir, we don't just have clowns sitting around here every single day. So I said, I'll pay double, do whatever. And actually the owner of the company, his wife and another couple went and dressed up as clowns and sat over the visiting dugout. And Bo Mel stayed in the corner of the dugout the whole time. So, uh, yeah, it was one of 
it was uh, it was one of the funnier things that uh, that I've been able to do with Bo Mel, and he never lets me forget it every now and then. So uh, he still wasn't too happy about it, but it was all yeah. in fun. Yeah, that is great. I cannot wait to get on him about that. Uh, you mentioned your son, and you know, I think about all the the and and all the athletes, uh, both male and female. Uh, high school seniors that lost their senior year. I think about college seniors who lost their senior years. And then I go to all these minor league players, you know, with the dreams of playing in the big leagues. And if you're not invited to the alternate site, that essentially you're losing a year of your professional career. I just, this is just, it's so hard to believe how many young men are not being able to pursue their dream right now. Yeah, it's it's tough. It definitely is. These guys are stir crazy right now. This is their livelihood right now, and they work hard to try to get to the big leagues. And, and it's only going to get tougher for these guys because I think every organization is going to be dropping minor league teams, uh, as was talked about last year before uh, you know the the virus came out. Um, you know, every team was talking about you know dropping an A ball team or whatever it might be. So there's going to be less jobs for these guys. So the competition level is just increasing. And then now you have a backlog of guys that were drafted and guys that are stayed back an extra year in college. And you had high school guys that were coming to college. So it's just, it's going to be a crazy year this year to see how, uh, if, if they're even going to play college baseball or not and all the things that are going on. So, uh, there's still a lot of unknowns out there. There's, maybe possibly not be in the Arizona Fall League this year. And those are a lot of the prospects that get to go out there and showcase their talents. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of guys that are really losing a year of eligibility in college uh, and, uh, and another year for these pro guys that are just a year older and didn't get to get any more experience out there. Hey, it is always an honor to have you on the program. I, I always appreciate it and continued success with everything you're doing with your businesses. Uh, Bob has told us that you're doing really, really well and everything with the Dimebacks. And uh, let's hook up again and talk as uh, I, I think we're going to see both these ball clubs in the postseason. Well, that'd be nice, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Hi, Ray. Tell me, how are you, my friend? I am, uh, I am doing well for the most part. Are you at the Coliseum already? Of course I am. But I, before we start this, wonderful. And by the way, I want to thank you or somebody for including me in our promos with uh, NBC Sports California. They say A's cast with David Forrest, the general manager, Bob Melvin, the manager, and even Ray Fossey. So that even's okay. That's not a problem. But uh, it's it's nice to uh, to be on with you. But I also want to start this by saying you did a tremendous job, and you, as you always do with everything you do, but mentioning Commander Cody and how great of a producer he is, not disparaging any other producers you've had, but Commander Cody has been very good. And I'm glad that you brought that up because he's done a tremendous job as you have. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned him the other day. I thought it was outstanding. So nice going, buddy. Uh, let's be honest, Ray. I've had some really bad producers. Well, I, I didn't know that, but I, I don't know who you have. But all I know 
is that Cody is doing a tremendous job. And uh, whether it's off-site, on-site, A's cash, whatever it might be, he's doing tremendously well. So uh, you're fortunate to have him, as I'm sure you know. And uh, it was nice that you mentioned him uh, with such great admiration and appreciation for what he does. Well, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, one night I was just sitting there and I was like, how can we promote Ray Fossey on the show more? (laughs) So I came up with this idea that, you know, why don't we have Ray help promote this idea uh, on on television? And so that's when I went to Cody and I went to Matt Pearl and I said, I have this idea to help promote Ray Fossey for our show. And uh, I can tell you, I I can take all the credit for that because it was 100% my idea, Ray. Well, thank you. I do appreciate it. And, and, you know, it, it's been, it was fun during the, the downtime. It's just as much fun during the, the time now that the game is being played, but uh, it, it's nice being on with you in expanded format. And, you know, you, you, you do a great job and, and I know uh, how tough it is at times to do interviews. And I know commander Cody gets the interviewees and, and, you know, you you do the job, but you know, you have to do your homework. And I think that's uh that's something that's very special. I, I heard was listening today, and I heard a guest on another. It was uh, not baseball related, but the last comment that the person made was, "Thank you." And by the way, you ask great questions, and I think that's important. And you do your homework so that you're not just uh, throwing out statements and expecting the person to answer them. You do a great job in in doing that. But I appreciate you. Uh, it, it, what's interesting too, I don't read that particular promo because obviously it includes me. So Glenn will read it, and uh, but but it's nice to be included. I do appreciate you doing it 100%, but did not want to take away from all the great things that Cody is doing as well. Well, you know, Ray, actually, I, I wanted to chime in and and say I actually write all those questions for Tony to to ask all of our interviewees, and <laughs> that that's all me. I do all of that. I sit here, I type those all out, and when they say thank you for the asking great questions, they're really telling me thank you. It's a thankless job, and I'm taking all of the credit 100%. Oh, that's great. I you love it. You better take that back it. right now or you're fired. So, Foss, the, the whole thing is that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge farce. Tony actually does all that. Um, it was my idea with the promo. Tony tried to steal the, yes, the idea it was from his me. Idea. I tried to steal the glory. It was his idea. Yes, well, Cody, regardless. You, you guys worked Cody is the reason that that happened. Because he was thinking about you, Ray. I'm a talk show host, so I'm selfish, so I only think about myself. <laughs> well, regardless, it was a team effort. And to the two of you, I appreciate it. It's, it's very nice of you, and uh, it's always great to talk baseball with you. Other than that, don't don't jump off the ledge now. It's just two games, buddy, you know. And, and the, yes, the Astros are playing better. And you knew, you knew they were going to. They, they even had a good team when they were not doing, when they were doing what they should have been doing. But we knew they had a good team. It's just that their pitching this year is a little bit down, but they've got Zach Greinke leading the pack. They've got the kids coming along following him, so give them credit. But, uh, you know, I still think the A's, still without a couple of guys hitting, like Chris Davis, again, not in the lineup tonight. Matt Chapman is not hitting like he's, he's going to. Matt Olson is hitting home runs, but not uh, for the batting average and doing the thing. So, you know, this ball club is being carried by a few players, and I think when they all start clicking together, and guys like Frankie Montas yesterday. You know what it proved yesterday, Tony? And, and it's, it's funny. We talk about timing. And, and, and Scott Emerson, the great A's pitching coach, will say, 
hitting his timing, pitching, as you know, is disrupting the timing. I've heard you say that and, and, and what he has said. But if you think about a pitcher who misses time, and granted, we want to make sure they're healthy. But even in this normal circumstances, let's say Frankie had made his turn uh, normally last Friday against the Giants, then they still would have had a day off, so pitching on six days. That, is a, that extra day means a lot. And so you get in a routine as a pitcher, and you do what you do. Let's say Lazardo tonight will pitch. You take the day off tomorrow. He'll throw on the side, blah, 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 and so forth, and get ready for his next start. Well, there's a certain routine. Well, you throw that off by one day. Now, I remember there were some pitchers that I, I recall that if there was an off day, they would come and throw because that would be their normal throwing day. They just would not take the whole day off. They would come to the Coliseum or wherever we were on the road, get somebody with a glove and play catch just to keep a routine going. So for Frankie to have that much time off, he last pitched on the 8th. Yesterday was the 18th. Do the math. And not surprising that his mechanics were off the way they were. He will get back to normal, assuming everything is okay health-wise. I don't think there's a problem. And I just believe that when you have that much time off, even one day is a lot, but you take a full turn and a rotation, that's a lot. And, and I expect him to come back stronger than ever. Yeah, Ray, I, let me explain this since I've covered all the different sports. And I've noticed with fans and with a lot of broadcasters and a lot of media people, their expectations are always everything's going to be good. But I've covered stuff long enough to know that a lot of the times plan A is not going to work. You better have a plan B and a plan C. And you may have what you think going into a football game are the right offensive plays, but the other team's defense may stop those. You better have adjustments. And if you don't have those, that's why everybody, when I keep saying, Hey, uh, Hazel Cesardo, I'd like him to go six, but I don't expect it to happen. And it scares me. And it scares me that he's followed up by Sean Manaya, who we know hasn't gone long in a game yet. So I would like someone in between them that I think I can get innings out of like a Chris Bassett to separate them. Because I know plan A normally in professional sports is not going to work. So you better be able to fall back on plan B and plan C. And I, when I think of Frankie Montas, everybody acted yesterday like, oh, Frankie's going to be back. It's like, well, wait a minute. The guy just had some back and neck issues. I'm not shocked about what happened because obviously he wasn't firing on all cylinders. And right out of the gate, Ray, you saw he didn't have his release point. And his release point for his fastball and split are the same. And when you don't have either, you're going to get an outing like that. No, you're exactly right. And he showed that. And I'll be honest with you, after the first pitch fastball was hit for a double, it's like, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. And you know, sometimes, you know, I've been behind the plate where you say, well, the hitter's going to take a pitch. They don't do that anymore, especially if you had somebody with power like Chu hit the home run off of Manaya on the first pitch. And, and yesterday when Calhoun ambushed uh, Frankie with a double to right center field, you know, those things happen. You know, you don't want them to start thinking about, you know, throwing something other than a fastball, but you don't have to throw it down the middle of the plate. But, you know, I agree with you because we talked about when Tony La Russa was with the A's, and he had that great four-man rotation, including Stu and Bob Welsh, who could pitch deep in the games. And then he had Mike Moore and Storm Davis. And he made sure those guys did not pitch back-to-back just like you're talking about. So he'd have a well-rested bullpen, figuring that Stu and Welsh could go deep in the game, that could come in and save it, and he's got a well-rested bullpen for the next game. Unfortunately, there's no all-star break. 
there are a few off days coming up, but you know, even the circumstances with uh, uh, Frankie Montas and missing the time, everybody else made their starts on normal turn or the extra day. So I don't know if there was a possibility of doing that, but I kind of agree with you. And we have to hope that Lazardo. see, the, the thing that bothers me about, about uh, Jesus is that when, when Bob Melman said a couple of starts ago, well, if that's his bad start, we'll be okay. Well, he had a bad one last one. And, uh, you know, the Giants got to ambush his fastball. So, you know, it's a learning process for a young kid. And Sean Manaya is not, you know, he's not the proven better like Mike Byers is. So I agree with you. But the one thing that the bullpen did in, in uh, Lou Trevino and Daniel Mingdon yesterday, they gave the A's an opportunity to have the back end of the bullpen ready to go and that bridge to get to the setup and, and the closer. So he's got Bob Melvin and Scott Emerson. They tonight have a good group of guys in the back end. But you're right. It, it still requires the starter to go deeper in the ballgame. You can't go four or five innings and expect to get that much out of the bullpen because you can't go to your one inning guys in the fifth and sixth and seventh innings, maybe the seventh, but not the fifth and sixth, you need some, you need a couple of innings. And, and right now, uh, Yusmero Petit is, is kind of the get out of the jams guy. You know, he, he's not in there. He's capable of uh, longer innings and maybe he, that will be something they'll do in the future. But right now he's the guy that they use to make sure that the jam that they're in doesn't continue in the beginning, but you no, know, you're exactly right. You need to have the separation in the starting pitchers, because God forbid the guy's not on, and then you have the next guy's not on either, and you're going to tax your bullpen. I don't care if it's a 60 game schedule and a 162 game schedule, you're going to tax your bullpen. And that means that the guys have to step up down on the pin. And I think yesterday, Trevino, I mean, it was a blowout, unfortunately. Nine runs in the first two innings, the A's were down. So uh, it was just a matter of eating some innings. Those guys did it. And I think that, that helped the A's tremendously. And, you know, we have to go back to Monday's game, Tony. Because the A's had that miraculous comeback again, tied the game, and it looked like you know another hard slider away, um, and, and maybe Peralta doesn't hit it and strikes out, and you know the A's go in the tenth inning, but it didn't happen, and but they didn't bounce back yesterday either, so they have to bounce back tonight against the same team. There is some familiarity there, but um, they have to beat some of these National League clubs. They did against the Giants, they didn't do it against the Rockies, they didn't do it against the Diamondbacks in the last two games, so they have to. They have to pick up some ground and beat those guys because you know the teams in the Western Division in the American League are going to play well, and especially against a team like the A's who are expected to go into postseason. I got a real kick out of your buddy, Dennis Eckersley, the Hall of Famer today, as I was driving home, <laughs> and uh, it was the Red Sox and the Phillies. I, I kind of now know why uh, probably a, a soft guy like David Price wouldn't wouldn't like X. So X, so basically Eck during during the broadcast is like telling like, well, I throw a fastball here. I wouldn't throw the change up. And the guy throws a chain whack into left field. <laughs> like, like X, like this is what I would throw here. And it's like funny because X right, right? You're like, X, yeah. no, do not throw that picture. Oh no, don't throw that. So X kind of like, you know, I throw the fastball here, I throw the cutter here. Yeah, I would love to listen to Eck every single game. It's like it, you and Eck together would be incredible. Well, before you came on board, and it was a long time ago when Eck retired, he and I actually worked together. I did the play-by-play, and he did the color. And I'll be honest with you, he was as honest as he is right now, and as he always has been. And that's why when he he stood up in '88 when he gave up the home run to Gibson, he didn't hide. Stood right in front of his locker and said, "Bring it on!" And, you know, I gave it up. Let's go. But I remember when Eck and I were doing some games, and there was a particular umpire, I will not name his name, 
but you know, Eck is doing color. And he said, this guy's brutal. He never called strike three, you know, and I'm going, <laughs> but you know, I look at him and he goes, I'm right. He, you know, he'll go strike one, strike two, but you know, you have to swing cause he'll never call somebody out and you could throw a strike down the middle. He's not going to call it. And he's going on and on. And, and then he, he, he talked about a player who bunted after a home run. He says, what are you doing? Swing the bat. I mean, he's, and the guy happened to be from the Bay area. And of course that guy approached deck the next day and actually, Hey, I said it, what are you going to do about it? You know? You shouldn't have been budding, but, but no, he's as honest as there is. But you know, the thing I didn't like about David Price, if you have a problem with somebody like X, say it to his face. Don't wait until you get all your teammates behind you on a plane and then bring it up to where they're going to back him. The players are going to back their teammate versus X. And you know, he's a hall of famer and he's, he's, he's done what he's done and deserves the acclaim as being a hall of famer, 390 saves over a hundred victories. I mean, he's a true, true professional. He doesn't beat around the bush, and, and I'm happy to hear that because I, I, I enjoyed working with him because he was as honest as there ever was, and it was fun because, and again, I'm not saying this against my partners now because I enjoy the game, but to have a pitcher and me as a catcher, I have my notes and stuff. We just talk back and forth, and it worked out so wonderfully just because we had a pitcher and a catcher talking situations and and it worked out great, but man, he was so honest then, and I'm he's still honest now. I mean, he's he's the best. He's the best. And that's why I'm not surprised that you said what you said. Well, and he does it. He it, it's so conversational. It, it's yeah. it's it's like when when you're listening to Eck, you know, when everybody's trying to talk on cliches and be careful, he's really just, and it's beautiful. That's what broadcasting really is. Yeah. He's just having an actual conversation. Did you hear last year there was a game? They had Jerry Remy and uh, a couple years with Donald Silver. I don't know. Maybe Dave O'Brien was there. But they were talking, and I happened to be watching the game. And X simply said, yeah, you know, they were talking about something. And he says, yeah, this guy stole my wife. And I'm going, yeah. what are you talking about? But it's true. You know, it's true. But that's how honest he is. The guys looked at him and said, hey. I'm telling you the truth. This is what happened. You know, I mean, everybody knew the story, but here's Eck talking about it on the air with a very high-powered station back in Boston. But you know, he's honest, and I, and I think sometimes that's what you have to be. And uh, you know, the game is on the field. And, you know, and what we do and what you do is kind of a byproduct of on the field. And just like with the Tatis thing, you know, I'm happy that there's so many players backing him because, again, we talked about this that would you like the A's were down five runs in the ninth inning on Friday. And, you know, let's, let's say the giants in the bottom of the eighth inning had bases loaded and the guy swung and, and hit a grand slam. You're going to be upset with him. I mean, yeah, you, you, after the fact, you know, you, you are uh, then you might've, but after the fact, when the A's came back and scored five and ended up winning the game, you said, wait a minute. And I think anytime you see a ball game that closes out and, and, and again, once you do it once, then you, you can believe you can do it anytime or as many times as you want. And the A's thought they were going to come back Monday night against the Diamondbacks after the Friday and Saturday games against the Giants. But you cannot assume in today's world, especially now with the universal DH, you have nine hitters. You can't assume that the game is over just because you have a five or six, seven run lead because anything can happen. You look at it, nine run innings, 10 run innings. I mean, anything can happen. So, uh, uh, you know, Reggie Jackson came out, uh, Johnny Bench came out, some Hall of Famers talking about that piece and how, Go for it. And, and if they want some, some flair in the game, this young man's got some flair. So why would you hold him back? 
And, um, you know, if somebody drills him, then, you know, they drilled or two behind Machado, which is even worse, you know, as you said the other day as well. But, uh, but no, I, I think it's, it's part of the game. The game has changed. We have to adapt to the changes. And I think that's something that as broadcasters, we have to look down and say, yeah, old school wouldn't do that. Well, that's old school. This is new school. And this is something that is being done in the game of baseball. And I think you have to go with it and, and, and not try to be so upset if something like that happens and simply say, well, that's the way the game is played right now. But I, I think there's so much offense and, and baseball wants offense that I don't think you can ever have enough runs on the board until when somebody, uh, somebody said 27th out or, or when you're shaking hands, then, then you scored enough. Somebody said that today and I read, but, but it's true. You know, the game is not over like Yogi. It ain't over till it's over. And, and, and in baseball, there's no clock. The other sports you can, you can stall, you can do what you want. I heard somebody say, well, in football, they can run the ball up the middle. Yeah. Cause there's a clock and you can run it down. And if you keep gaining yardage and you get first downs, yeah, you can kill the clock. But in baseball, what are you going to tell the guy? Not swing. Did you, did you see the story where Manny Acta, I think it was Acta, who stopped a runner at third base. Oh, it was, it was Frank Robinson because he's the one who said when we're shaking hands and the game was over because Manny acted because the club had a big lead and uh, Frank Robinson was managing and he stopped the guy at third. So he wouldn't embarrass And Frank Robinson grabbed. It, he said, Hey, you have a chance to score runs, score runs. Because like I said, that it was Frank who said, yeah, when we're shaking hands, yeah, when we scored enough and that's it, but, but you can't do anything and think about all those things. Now score as many as you can. And I've never seen a game of baseball where a hitter goes to plate and just stands there and say, yeah, throw me three strikes. I'm going to walk back to dugout. No. Between a team sport and an individual sport, all of those things factor into doing as much as you can, as long as you can, because of the game of baseball. You never know what can come back and how it can bite you. Yeah, five times it's happened in Major League Baseball canning Tatis with some big-name guys. And so it kind of yeah. shows you how ridiculous whole thing is. And by the way, what, what's kind of disgusting to me, the more you look into it, is that Woodward, the manager of the Rangers, is acting like his team is down 18 runs. Yeah, He's only down seven runs with two at-bats to play. So, exactly. so yeah. I'm looking at the A's. The A's erased five just, just a couple days before. In one inning, the A's erased a five-run lead. If, let's right. say Tatis, I don't even know how many outs were when he did, but let's just say he pops up to the catcher, and then they get the next out, and they're out of the inning. They've got two different at-bats. They got six outs to get seven runs. How dare That's this right. guy act like this was, hey, they're up seven runs in the eighth. Well, if the game's over, let's just call the game and go home. But last time I checked, <laughs> exactly. you had six outs to get seven runs, which has been done yeah. a bazillion times in baseball. So the fact that he acted like that, I kind of question intelligence there, Ray. Did, did you see the uh, the interview? It was kind of an interview, but the soundbite of Buck Showalter. Did you see that one today? No. He basically said, he when he's managing, and he said, he said we, I was managed, somebody do that. He said, I looked down the dugout. He said, if my players weren't upset, who am I to do anything? You know, if they're upset, they can take care of it. I'm not going to do anything as a manager. So to your point, not just the fact that he had six outs to do something, but as a manager, what are you trying to prove? And, and again, nothing against Chris Woodward, second-year manager, but, you know, he's from the old school, but it's a different time. If you look down your dugout and guys are upset, they'll take care of the business if you think it's necessary. And, and maybe Jabot did that. I don't know that it was ordered. But, you know, then you have yesterday with uh, Mike Trout having a ball buzz up around his head 
and Joe Madden simply said, "Well, it's not his fault. He shouldn't be here anyway." You know, so, so I mean, I mean that that's that's not that good from from Anderson's standpoint to have a manager say that. But you know, it, it is a game that's an offensive game. They lowered the mound for a reason. I mean, if you look at Bob Gibson, a one-one-two earn run average, it was higher than in 1968. It said, you know, we got to have some offense because the batting champion hit 301. You know, you can't do that. You have to get some offense, and that's why they have done that. And I, I agree with you. I think you may have said or asked me about juice baseball. I believe it's juice, maybe not in the postseason, but it seems like the ball is really traveling now as, as well as it did last year. Strikeouts are up, home runs are up, and it's a, uh, it's a situation where you cannot assume until you get that final out and you are shaking hands that the game is over because it, in, anything can happen because it's out and not a clock. And I think that's where fans – have to realize the game of baseball is simply that part of the game that you have to realize. Yeah. Uh, when did Chris Woodard get, get into the game of baseball? Because I, I've got the, the other times this has happened. Juan Gonzalez with the Tigers did it against the A's in the year 2000. Thomas yeah. Howard did it uh, for the Cardinals at the Pirates in the year 2000. Jay Buhner, I can guarantee you Chris Woodward was not in the game in 1996. Jay Buhner no. with the Mariners did this against the Tigers in 1996. And I guarantee you Chris Woodward was not in the game in 1993 when Robin Ventura, the White Sox, did the exact same thing to the Tigers in 1993. All these guys, yeah. these are all big-name players, by the way, all-stars, yeah. did this when their teams had big leads. They took hacks 3 nothing and hit home runs. So uh, what old school is he from? Because this all happened before he was in the game. Well, the only thing I know, and, and we could look up, because when Don, uh, Don Wakamatsu got the job managing in Seattle after being with the A's, Chris Woodward played for him there. So that period of time, whenever it was, for sure. But, you know, Tommy. And wait, 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 Mr. Old School. Uh, he's old school. He's a he's an old soul. <laughs> Take a guess how old he is. Uh, probably in his early 40s. Uh, he's four years younger than I am. He's 44. Mr. Old School is just 44 oh, wow. years old. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I like what Colin McHugh said. He, he, you know, he's with the Diamond or the uh, Astros. I think it's Boston and opted out or whatever. But I said it where I'd read it yesterday, and, and he was talking about it. He said, listen, before every game I would pitch, I would look at the statistics, and I would see which hitters swing 3-0. Because I'm going to make sure those guys are not going to be getting a cookie 3-0, a cookie being a fastball down the middle, basically saying, I, I expect you not to hit. And so here's a fastball I'm going to throw for a strike. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's a pitcher doing his homework, knowing who guys, which guys do it. Now, on the air, I will speculate at times. I'll say, look out, because this guy could have the green light. And, and you know, that could be in a game-turning situation, not necessarily with a blowout. But still, you have to consider which hitters are capable of swinging 3-0. And I say capable, and I've said before that the manager in spring training will let guys swing 3-0 to see what they do. Because not everybody, they all expect to hit a home run 3-0. That doesn't necessarily mean it. I remember when, um, when Bob Melvin and um, uh, Jed Lowry, Jed Lowry hit a 3-0 pitch with the bases loaded, and the skipper said to him, uh, maybe it was the day before when he swung or something, and he gave him the green light, and he said, that's the most predictable pitch you will get in a bat, a 3-0 fastball, because that is it. But, you know, you have to be concerned, too. Is the pitcher going to throw you a true 95? Is he going to throw you 90? And if you don't 
and aren't patient enough, you could be way out in front and roll over and hit a ground ball double play. And that's what Tatis could have done as well. He could have hit a double play. But the fact that he stayed back and went to right center, that was what made it impressive. Because if he had really been trying to jack one out, go to left field, he could have rolled over with the pitch outside. Instead, he goes with it and hits it to right center. So I think there's a lot to be made about nothing in this situation. And, um, you know, I commend the young man, first of all, for being able to do it. And, oh, by the way, it was his father who hit two grand slams at the same inning, which I don't think that's ever going to be done again. Uh, you know, it is possible. But, you know, that's a feat in itself, you know, to be able to do that. So there is some history in the family of grand slams. But, um, no, I, I, just, I just think that, you know, the game is an offensive game. And, and you look at one through nine, there is not defense that's mentioned. It's more offense. And even the ninth place hitter in county, you know as well as I do, that now with the DH being employed in both leagues, we're going to see a lot more offense. Because now you look at the number nine hitter, I think Ahmed hit ninth uh, on Monday night. And what did he do? You know, he, he had a big day yesterday. So, I mean, these guys can do the job regardless of where they're hitting. Now you're putting a hitter in that nice position. And sure, Madison Bumgarner might be upset when he comes back off the IL that he won't be able to hit. But the bottom line, you have nine hitters now that the pitcher has to face. That changes the game tremendously in both leagues. American League has been that way since 1973. But now the National League, and I think going forward, we're going to see the universal DH employed by both leagues and it's going to change the game to the point of offense to the point that pitchers have to be on the lookout for nine hitters now versus seven because they could pitch around the eighth hitter in the National League with the pitcher hitting as we know but that's going to change and I think it's going to really be an offensive sport going forward by the way let's be honest Ray there's nothing worse than swinging 3-0 and getting out well, well that's true but you see guys do it well there's a kid that um, well, well Monday night um, somebody swung 3-0 with a run in third for the Diamondbacks and it flew out to center field. And that was it. But no, you, you know, you, you get the green light 3-0 to hit your normal way, not to try to hit the ball nine miles. You know, it doesn't mean you're supposed to hit a home run just because you get the green light. It's just you're going to get a good pitch to hit. And especially if there's a runner in scoring position, that's key is to drive in the run, not to try to drive the runner in plus yourself. But you're right. And the worst thing, and that's why Tatis, I think, did a good job by going opposite field, because he was not thinking about pulling the ball in the seats. He was thinking about being disciplined enough to hit the ball to the opposite field on a 3-0 and not taking the chance of rolling over and hitting into what would have been a double play. Because I think there were less than two outs when it happened. Uh, before we let you go, uh, how's the smoke there at the Coliseum? Horrible. Horrible. I think we would have needed masks regardless, <laughs> because... It's hovering all over, and I noticed that coming from out of the East Bay, Danville area, it, it, it's gotten worse. As I pulled in the parking lot, uh, you could see it in the clouds, but definitely you could smell it. And I was listening to a program today where a guy said, you know, I normally sleep with a window open. He said I couldn't because there was so much smoke, and that's what's happening. So, um, and, the, and the players, it's kind of an optional day for the A's players on the field. Uh, there's not organized the batting practice, or at least they, they came out early. Maybe the Diamondbacks aren't hitting, but uh, but – uh, when I got here uh, in time for this great show and being on with you that uh, the guys were out and, and just kind of getting ready, maybe to take some optional batting practice, do whatever, but um, they're going to be okay. Townie. It's going to be fun down this, this sprint. And, and you can think about how few games are remaining. What? 37. Uh, are, we are, are at 36, uh, 36 games. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, it seems like we just started Tony. I know it's it, it's unbelievable. The sprint is yep. 
on, my friend. All it right, is. have a it good is. call, and then uh, I will be talking to you in uh, just a little bit here on uh, Ace Total Access. Sounds good. And, Cody, continue doing a great job writing all those questions for Johnny. Wow. <laughs> Talk to you guys. Thank you. Do we have Tony Kemp? Hey, what's up, guys? What's happening? How are you? Great, man. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, no, we, we appreciate you coming on. You know, these are exciting times. I mean, obviously, what's happening with the uh, athletic and the run here in the American League West. And also, your start. You've gotten off to a real hot start. How nice is that in a shortened season to get off to a hot start? Yeah, man, it's obviously important, but, uh, you know, I'm just going up there each time, just trying to help my team win. And, uh, you know, these guys are workhorses, and it's fun to come to the ballpark each day with these guys. They have a great understanding of what it takes to be a good teammate. And not only that, but they know how to win. And obviously, that's been apparent in the last, uh, you know, a couple weeks or so. So, um, yeah, it's just a cohesive unit that likes to uh, play baseball. You know, when you were when you were playing on the other side of the Oakland A's, uh, and, and obviously you were a thorn on the side of the A's, one of the reasons why they brought you in, what was your view of this organization from the other clubhouse? Yeah, I mean, the A's were always the team that we worried about uh, in the division. Uh, you know, you've seen some of our comeback wins this season, and uh, there's no fight in this team. And, you know, being on the Astros, we knew that, so – uh, once that last out is made, there's no celebrations. There's no, um, there's no, there's no celebrating, especially with guys that, um, you know, play as hard as they do on this side. So, you know, I'm very fortunate that, you know, they were able to pick me up and now I'm able to be on this side. And, uh, it's just, you know, guys who, you know, blue collar guys who just play the game hard and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be, you know, here for the future. Yeah, I, I think of 60 games, and it's already flying by so fast. And I know you guys go game by game, but, Tony, you know how we work in the media. We, we put the cart before the horse here. Uh, there's only 30. There's only 35 games left. How crazy is that to think? 35 oh. games. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad you said something, man, because, uh, you know, we've been so one, you know, one pitch at a time, one play at a time, and that's how our, how our brains operate. Um, as baseball players, but wow, 35 games. Yeah, it's going to be a sprint, like we said. And, uh, you know, usually in the past, the A's have always gotten to a slow start, so they say. And uh, being able to see what we've been doing right now is just a testament of, you know, the work that we've been putting in. And you can see it starts from the top down. And uh, it's just impressive to watch the guys go to work each day. And there's a lot of guys on this team that have a work ethic that um, you want to put into your everyday routine as well. So, uh Whatever we can do to win, we're just uh, taking it pitch at a time, and uh, it's a it's one heck of a team to be a part of. I can tell you that much, and they're even uh, <laughs> they're even more fun in the clubhouse. Yeah, that is something that I've noticed all these years. When someone comes from the outside and they come in, they realize, wow, this is really a light, loose kind of loosey goosey clubhouse that. Uh, you don't get with every single team. So that's something you noticed pretty early uh, when you came in. It's not like most teams. Yeah, and especially being here, um, if somebody's not getting their work in, you definitely know because it sticks out. So uh, it's, it's, I've usually been a person who just likes to observe and kind of go along and see how people operate. And uh, that's definitely the case, man. You always have guys in, in the weight room 
in the batting cage, looking at video. There's hardly guys ever sitting at their lockers. And uh, that's a testament of how good they want to be. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I can't tell you how happy I am to be a part of a team like this and to help contribute. And, uh, you know, just being able to be out there on that field is obviously a true blessing. But, uh, yeah, these guys are focused and, and determined. You know, I, I've said this now for years. Marcus Simeon is one of the great leaders in the game, but he's a leader by example. When you watch a guy who plays every single day, plays 162 games, this year, knock on wood, it'll be a, a 60 games. The way he busts his ass every day uh, before the game, taking his ground balls, getting his conditioning in. I, I've always said, if you looked around as a teammate, and you're not working as hard as him, it'd be hard to look yourself in the mirror. That's how hard he works. Just talk about what you've seen from Marcus as a leader, truly by example. Yeah, just being able to talk to Chad Bender. I mean, we've kind of been in the same uh, platoon role um, on him on the A's, me on the Astros. So when we used to meet up in the middle of the field before games, I used to tell him, you know, uh, you know, go give it your best and, and, and do what you can while you, while you have the opportunity today. And now being uh, friends with Fender on this side, uh, I kind of asked him about, you know, what is Marcus Simeon about? And he just says that his Marcus Simeon's, his motor doesn't stop. And uh, we have this saying around here, uh, well, at least I do, it's called motor like Marcus. So uh, that's kind of what I've kind of implemented into my everyday work is just have a motor like Marcus and uh, go in there and get your work in and, and give it your all every day. And uh, being able to talk to him and kind of get into his, uh, you know, mental uh, toughness as well. I kind of asked him how he deals with the ups and downs of seasons. And he says, hey, man, it's it's baseball. And at the end of the day, you know, you can you can do everything right. You can hit the ball 100 miles an hour off the bat and they go and catch it on the warning track. And, you know, you're just going to have to deal with that. And that's like, it's very true. In this game, you can do everything right and still fail statistically. So, uh, you know, being able to just get some knowledge from him and understand what he's about is uh, important. Yeah, I, I think about these wins and losses. I mean, wins and lo- losses always matter. But there's is there a little difference for you as a player? And, you know, because we're always talking about each win is either – worth 2.7 wins or the loss is worth 2.7 losses. Is there a little difference between wins and losses this season for you? <laughs> no, I don't think that we use the multiplier uh, in this clubhouse. I think we just take it a day at a time like it's uh, just a regular 60-game season. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think that we just want to make sure that we're in for playoffs and that we have a chance to go to the World Series and win that thing. And, uh, you know, this team has been knocking on the door for a couple of years in the past. And, um, yeah, I just want to get back there and, you know, play hard. And that's what this team is about. So, uh, yeah, we don't really worry about that multiplier. We don't worry about, uh, you, you know, you win, you celebrate for a couple hours after the game, you lose, you you do whatever you need to do to get past it. And then, uh, Hey, today is a new day and you just have to have that, uh, mental, mental approach each day. How nice is it that your season and it's your first year out West that everything's on the West coast. I mean, you're going to have to go back to Texas and do Arlington and Houston, but for the most part, you know, let's face it, Tony, you got to, 
You're going to have a quick flight down to Southern California, the quick flight up to Seattle or Arizona. You're not having to fly all the way to New York or Tampa or Baltimore or Boston. How nice is this kind of everything being on the West Coast? Yeah, I, I'd always used to say traveling from Houston and going playing out West, you know, those those flights are tough. But uh, being out West is nice. Being able to have nice weather like this all the time and uh, there's no humidity and uh, the Coliseum has so much rich history too. I love playing here as well. And yeah, it's nice, especially the travel you have the angels right there. And then you have Seattle, um, you know, a little bit further too. So the travel has been nice and, uh, I can't complain about it. These guys make it easy. How much are you paying attention right now to your old team, the Houston Astros who have kind of climbed back into it? And they've won eight in a row with their win today against the Colorado Rockies. How much are you, the clubhouse, knowing that uh, Houston's right back on your guys' tail? Yeah, I think the the cool thing about this clubhouse is, you know, we don't even concern ourselves with standings. And, uh, you know, if a pitcher has a good day and, you know, we're off balance to play, we just tip, tip our cap and, you know, go get the next game. And, uh, you know, as far as standings, you know, I think if, if you look in the rear view or you look, uh, what another team is doing, it kind of takes away what you're accomplishing. So, um, you know, I'm a big believer in controlling the controllables, control what you can, and, uh, you know, just bring it every day, bring that energy every day. And, you know, no matter if you're three for four, four for four, or 0 for four, uh, tomorrow is still a new day. And, um, you know, if that, when you ever step in that box, that pitcher, uh, you know, he doesn't know what your path is. All, all he knows is to get you out. And so, uh, yeah, every time you step in the box, you just have to have the most positive mindset you can. You know, it always blows me away. I want to talk about your alma mater, Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, for all these years in the SEC, the talk is obvious. Gonna, it's going to be Alabama. It's going to be Florida. It's going to be Auburn and, and Georgia and basketball. It's going to be Kentucky. You know, SEC, you don't think, you know, Vanderbilt is just the school all the smart kids go to, right? And now... <laughs> Vanderbilt has become this baseball power, but one of the reasons why they've become a baseball power is everything that they've used technology-wise, very smartly run program. I think Vanderbilt at one point was way ahead of professional baseball with using the things like Rapsodo and TrackMan and everything. Just talk about what it was like to go through Vanderbilt, a great program that's helped lead you. And we talked about Yaz and your time with Yaz and all these great players coming out of Vanderbilt, how it's like propelled you guys into major league baseball. Yeah, I think it's the preparation, and obviously you can't say enough of what Tim Corbin has done for that program. And, uh, you know, I think the big thing is uh, when guys like us go back and we train and Corbin opens up the baseball facilities for the guys to go back and train, and, you know, you can build a relationship with the guys who are already there too. And uh, it's great, man. It's a good it's a good atmosphere to be a part of because everyone's working towards the same goal. And, you're able to bounce ideas off each other. Like me and Yaz, we've bounced uh, hitting ideas off of each other. And, uh, man, he's just taken off. And it's great to see everything that he's done. Uh, but, yeah, it's just the preparation of what uh, Vanderbilt has allowed. And it's not just, you know, how good of a baseball player you can be, but, you know, Corbin is over there making sure that you're putting in the effort across the, cl- in the, cl- across the street in the classroom too because, you know, he makes a big emphasis on if you can't, 
if you can't take care of what you're doing across the street academically, you can't step foot on the baseball field. So uh, he makes sure that uh, our guys are well-rounded. He does a good job of it. You know, before, before we let you go, let's talk about the plus one effect, the, the T-shirt. And I know my producer has it on now. want to let you promote that. I, I know you got to get going. Yeah. It's so close to first pitch, but it, it, talk about the shirt and what it does. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's honestly, it's just been a campaign to have open dialogue about race. And, you know, especially after the George Floyd murder, just about educating people on um, how black people have been oppressed in America and, um, what are things that, you know, can be microaggressions uh, toward black people as in like, hey, he speaks well or, you know, he talks in a certain manner. And uh, I think it's been good. I think I've been able to educate a lot of people um, that are just looking for answers and people who are kind of oblivious to the situation. And, uh, yeah, it's been uh, obviously we've sold over 1,200 shirts. And, you know, I, I think that it, it has surpassed. Um, everything that I had ever even thought it would get to. So uh, being able to just have like an open dialogue about race. And uh, I just told people, hey, some, some people's opinions are going to change and some people's, you know, they're going to stay the same way. So, um, but at least you tried and at least you said you had a tone in which, you know, nobody got upset. But uh, I think that's how you're going to get across people is not getting a, a attitude about it, but just saying, hey, this is how I think, this is how I feel. You know, take it what you take it what you want, and you know if they take it in a positive way and they agree with you, and then that person goes and says it to somebody else, and that's kind of how you you know plus one, and that's kind of how where where it uh, the plus one effect kind of um, transformed from. You know, I, I, let's end on this because obviously your goal is over the years to be a major league baseball player and to get to this level and, and have a long career. But just how special is it to you that during these times that you now have this platform that you can truly reach out and help people who truly need help? Yeah, I think that's the, honestly, I think that's the biggest deal. Um, obviously, baseball is not going to last forever. But, you know, one day when I look back and say, hey, did you do everything you could with the platform that you had at the time? And, you know, I think I'll be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, yeah, I, you know, it's you know, this stuff can be time consuming. So there's always a fine line in the season of how much you spend on it um, versus how much, uh, you know, once you come to the field, that's kind of what you focus on is baseball activities and how am I going to get better in the pitcher and things like that. So there's always a fine line of what you can do once you have this platform. And, you know, I'm just blessed that, you know, God has put me in a position to do things like this and to help change the world. And I, I truly believe, I truly believe that. Well, I just want everybody to know that normally you don't get players uh, this close to game time. And for you to do this, I mean, this is the A's show. I wish we could see each other face to face. This is where we talk A's business and all the A's come. But unfortunately, during these times where we have to do it this way. But thank you for coming on. Thank you for what you're doing, because, you, you know, it, it's always wonderful when athletes can can outside the lines go out and affect society and affect people and make other people's lives great and you're doing a wonderful thing congratulations you're also off to a great start continued success keep winning ball games with the a's you guys stay safe and we'll talk to you soon hey no i appreciate all the kindest words and thanks for having me and uh hopefully next time we'll get it uh i won't i won't forget we'll get it we'll get it a little bit before 
uh, BP starts, so it's not as close to game time. But thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, now joining us, he's absolutely one of our favorites, and what he's doing for the A's right now is truly unbelievable. Mark Canna is with us from the Valley of the Sun. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm on my way to uh, the bus right now. We're about to head over to the ballpark pretty soon here. Well, I got to think for you, before we start talking baseball, we know that you have a new baby at home, and uh, I got to think it, it was a wonderful night, everything that's going on with the A's, but to be back home with the wife and the family for, for this brief time in Arizona, I bet is really special for you and your family. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I got in kind of late last night, but my, we, my daughter – unfortunately didn't want to go to bed at her bedtime so i got to see her last night and it was uh it was awesome and i also got to hang out with them this morning it was just uh you know pancakes and pancakes morning and we just it was just a fun hang with the fam today oh i bet and how about this there's nothing better than sleeping in your own bed yeah yeah it's it's awesome (laughs) So let's talk about your ball club right now. And before we talk about you, because I know you'd rather talk about the team, uh, you've won four straight. You've won 13 of 15. You just whooped it up yesterday against the Giants where you took it to them 15 to three. But just how great was this series, three straight games, and the way you guys came back on Friday and Saturday showing so much character? Yeah, it was awesome. It was just uh, when you, whenever you start a series, it, you kind of, it, it always feels like you're kind of dipping your toe in the water and feeling the temperature a little bit. Like you're kind of going to see how the series goes. And, and we uh, got, fell behind in those first two games, but, but it, it kind of felt like we came together as a group and kind of kicked it into gear at the end of those games. And then, um, you know, smacked them on Sunday. So it was a nice series for us. Um, you got to win all kinds of different series. And that was definitely uh, a dramatic one, but, but we, we made it happen with some magic. So you, you like to see that. So I'm thinking about for you, I mean, obviously this series was incredible. I mean, you had the game winning sack fly, Saturday, I mean, Saturday at the big home run, but you had a base hit and a double. And then, of course, what you did yesterday. And I think about last season. What is it about that ballpark that when you get in there, you just see the ball so well? Uh, I just, I really want to do well there. There's a little extra motivation for me, but um, yeah, it's just something about there. Like I get like a little heightened focus and a little bit. There's a little extra there. Um, I I really kind of treat my abat. I, I always treat my abats well, but like I don't know. It's just like I go into this ultra competitive mode when I get into that. We'll call it a beast mode, if you will. <laughs> Uh, when I get into that ballpark and whenever we're playing the Giants, really. Yeah, you know what? Our fans are going to love that because, you know, I know a lot of people, the Giants are down. But as you know, our fan base, it doesn't matter what the record is. They want to beat the Giants so bad. And, and, and yeah. I love how you guys also feed off that. And you guys know that. Yeah, I always want to beat the Giants. And, and you know what? 
they're not a bad team. That's a they put up some runs on us those first two games. They their offense is working a little bit. Um, you know, you you run into a couple guys in that lineup that are hot at a certain time. It's not it's not that easy of a lineup to get through. And and they got some arms, some starting arms, and and some decent arms in the bullpen too. So uh, you know, these are major league teams we're talking about here, and they're. <laughs> and competitive ones at that with some really good players. So I, you know, regardless of the record, they, they're playing in a tough division. The Rockies and the Dodgers obviously are doing really well in their division. And those are two other tough teams to beat right now. And uh, I think their record doesn't tell the whole story about the Giants. Well, this past well, week, I, I don't know if you're going to get AL player of the week, but we, we, we ran your numbers this last week. You hit 360 with a 1,050 OPS, a home run, six RBIs, seven runs scored, and four extra base hits. Uh, what does it mean to you just to, to, to fill out that box score on an everyday basis to help your team? Uh, I mean, that's I just I think that's the type of player I can be when I'm when I get going and I find a little rhythm at the plate. Um, it kind of all comes together just because the walks are always there. The play discipline's always there. I, I, you know, believe in my ability to have a good at bats. It's just a matter of, of whether or not I'm squaring up the ball that day. And when I am, it, it makes for a, it makes for a pretty, um, you know, I, I can put up some numbers. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, the numbers you're putting up and, and the lineup around you now, as the A's have scored 54 runs in the last seven games. I mean, the offense at the beginning got off to a little bit of a slow start. How are you guys feeling vibing now as a lineup? Really good. I, I mean, I, I made a comment, I think it was on your show earlier in the year that how we were getting contributions from different parts of the lineup every day. And I, and I think that, that is the best way to offense throughout the long term and you know, throughout the course of a season, you know, like the guys who hit hit 250 don't go one for four every day. It's, it's peaks and valleys and, and you have to um, get it from different, different guys every day. I, I'm a firm believer in that and that's what we've done. So, I mean, you know, there's, times in this season when I've kind of cooled off and, and other guys picked up the slack and there's times, you know, Ole picked us up for a, was like the majority of our offense there for a few games. Chappie's gone off. Um, we're, we're really kind of firing from all angles. And, and I think that's how you have to do it. You know, you're, you're so versatile. That's why we had fun with the nickname duct tape uh, where Bob Melvin can put you anywhere, whether it's center, left, right, DH, first base. I mean, you really could play anywhere. I would, couldn't doubt if you could play short. Uh, and, I, and I think about your versatility, and, and you know how that big that is for the team. Do you like playing all these positions, or would you rather just have one position? Um, I take pride in it. I, I'm the type of person that likes a, likes a challenge, and I like it's, it's challenging to, to bounce around and, and be good at, at all those spots. And uh, I kind of just embrace that challenge and embrace that role. And as a, and I know that the, the team values that. So, it's, you know, I'm happy to be in a place that the team that makes me valuable to the team and 
to be to feel appreciated. I know that that Bob loves that. And I know the front office loves that. So that uh, it makes me happy that I can contribute in more than one way. And the guys you're playing in the outfield with right now, I mean, Stephen Piscotty has a 409 on base percentage, three home runs, yeah. 11 RBIs in the last five games. Robbie Grossman has reached base 22 of his last 39 plate appearances. I mean, your fellow yeah. outfielders right now, you guys are getting it done. Yeah, we're killing it. Um, you mentioned AL Player of the Week. I was going to say Piscotty probably – if, I'd be surprised if he doesn't take it for this week. He had a monster series. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're just – the outfield – our outfield is doing an awesome job, and, and that obviously has been uh, exceptional considering Ramon's been out the last three days. We really needed to pick up the slack. You know what I wanted to ask you is the fact that you're playing – in basically playing back at home. And, you know, I, I live where you grew up in Willow Glen in the South Bay. And it's funny, I'm a, I'm a member of San Jose Swim and Racket, and there's a lot of the older guys there who know your father. And they're always asking yeah. me about you. Have you talked to Mark? I talked to his dad. I, what kind of motivation that does that give you, knowing that all of these guys who grew up watching as a kid are following you on an everyday basis? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I I'm really proud of the area that I came from. Um, you say you're a member. Of, I'm, I was, a, you know, we were members of that club too. So uh, I grew up playing tennis there and that was our summer pool, you know, to go swimming. If me and my buddies wanted to go swimming, we'd ride our bikes over there. So, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it's a great community. I take pride in, in representing it well. And, um, it's, it's an area that when I, when I go home, I'm always, you know, it's nice. I, I have a lot of great childhood memories. And let's end on this. Cause, cause we know you got to get going. Um, you and Marcus are the longest tenure days. What, what does that mean to you and Marcus as leaders of this club and that you guys have been around the longest? Um, I think we, we do a really good job of, um, creating a, a culture that the right culture, you know, the, the right A's culture that we we've kind of learned over the years of the stuff we liked and the stuff we don't like of, of kind of vibes we have going on in the clubhouse. And we've done a really good job and probably Marcus more than me, but Marcus is more of a kind of the captainy head head figure that, that I would say has done this, but we just created a really good, um, relaxed, kind of a combination of the relaxed environment that we kind of came into, but also an ultra competitive, um, hardworking environment on top of that kind of, a, a double-edged sword of, of chilling out, but, but working hard and getting our stuff done. Well, you guys, it's hard to believe there's only 38 games left in the season. You're 15 and six. You got the best record in the American League. And just keep it rolling. It's been an absolute treat to watch you guys. Congratulations on all your success and everything with the family and being back home with the kids. Enjoy that. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Be well and be safe. All right. Thanks, County. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.